Hashem Hashem Na'asev Na'atzliach, Shiur Torah, Baruch Hashem. We uh, are back here in uh, Aventura, doing another Shiur. I don't know, Aventura, Miami, five minutes from the other place. How could it be Miami? Is Aventura? Is that Aventura? What is it? It's called Aventura. Okay, I'm calling it Aventura. I declare, yeah, putting the flag, it's Aventura from now on. So that's all I can remember, guys. So, Baruch Hashem, we're here in Aventura. And, uh... Now the shiur, we are actually up to Musar Pirkei Avot 115. We're going to start a new Mishnah today. Uh, also talk about a little bit uh, of the parasha, a few things that are relevant uh, in regards to some of the questions that were asked yesterday at the end of the shiur, um, where a few new people that came to the shiur uh, weren't too happy about uh, the rebuke. They weren't too happy about the rebuke. They liked the shiur, but they didn't like that we called uh, some guy that's a rasha, rasha. Uh, is it Ari Rosman? Yeah, yeah, so they thought that uh, maybe she give kafschut, you know, benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's not nice. Maybe we shouldn't mention names. Who are we to judge? Who are we to say? Chatanu avinu pashanu. Midat chasidut. I'm going chasidim. A little Baal Shem Tov's today, Baruch Hashem. So we have to ask, we have to ask ourselves because are we right or are we wrong? Are we right or are we wrong? You know, when you... When you're trying to get close to Hashem, you have to ask yourself, am I following my own ta'avot, my own desires, my own ego, or am I following Hashem? Am I uh, doing it because uh, it gives me some sort of strange pleasure? Or am I doing it because uh, it's emet, it's the truth? You have to ask yourself these questions. Who's your, who's your God? Is it Hashem or is it a Sitra Acha? Is it Satan, Malach Amavet, Yitzhara? And you remember last week we talked the last year about Rocha Kodesh and even the, the, the Gaon, even when he wrote in a chapter about, uh, about Rocha Kodesh, he said, even if you did all of these steps, all the steps that he said you had to do, I think it was 12 different steps you had to do. Such difficult steps. The first one, Alvai, we, we achieved the first one. Alvai, we achieved the first one. And Rav Pinchas Eliyahu Mivinna says, even if you achieve all of these 12 steps, and you start getting this unimaginable feeling, that you believe is Ruach HaKodesh, don't be so sure it's Ruach HaKodesh. Why? Maybe it's a Sitra Achra fooling you. Maybe it's a Satan. What do you mean by the Tshuva for this Gidgu, for the previous Gidgu, for, 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 for every problem that I had, I fixed, all the bad Midot, and I cried about Yerushalayim, and I cried about Am Yisrael, and I cried about the Shekhinah, and I fixed all the materialism, I'm completely disconnected, and all these things that, Alvai, we could do one of them. 
Because yeah, even after you did all that, don't be so sure. Why? The Mishnah in Avot says, you're not allowed to be sure of yourself until the day you die. And that's why the Rambam posek le'alacha, that every person needs to look at themselves as 50-50. 50% 50% rasha. Stomeret, meaning, the next mitzvah or the next avera puts you up, you and the rest of the world, on that side. The next mitzvah. You do one mitzvah, you just help the entire world. Maybe you're going to bring Mashiach. Yes, the next Netilat Yadai may bring Mashiach. Yes, the next Shabbat may bring Mashiach. The next Tfilin you do, but Kavanah, you may bring Mashiach. But the next time you look at a girl that's not your wife, the next time you think about someone that's not appropriate, the next time you cheat, the next time you lie, the next time you're jealous, even in your heart, you can move yourself and the entire world to what? To a level of rasha. So you can't, you can't be so sure of yourself. You have to ask yourself. You have to ask Hashem, quite Hashem, ask for siyat bishmaya. Ask for help from Hashem. Please, Hashem, give me, give me something. I need to know something. I need to know. Am I right? Am I wrong? Am I dreaming? Am I this? Am I that? Am I dreaming? Am I hallucinating? Is it right? Is it wrong? You have to ask. So, Bezat Hashem, I prayed. I prayed for Hashem to help me, please. Today, give me some more clarity. Hashem is so kind. He gives it, Baruch Hashem. So, today's Shiur will also be for Refua Shlema to Levana Bat Sarah. Hashem Evarech Ota. יתן לחיים ארוכים שלמים מלאים תורה מצוות גמילות חסדים שרה בת לבנה דוד בן עשריה דוריס בת ג'ורה מיטשל בן שרה לאה יוסף בן רחל שרה לאה בת שרה דוד בן רוס דבורה בת מרצדס אלישבע חיה בת שרה האלה בת שרה Chaim ben Sarah and all of Am Yisrael Bezat Hashem will have Refua Shlema, Refua Tanefesh, Refua Taguf. So, anyone that missed the lecture in total last night or just the last part, I'll uh, bring you up to date on uh, the current events. For some reason, people think that uh, I get some type of joy calling people out and uh, rebuking, telling people that they have to do tshuva, telling people that what they're doing is wrong, that they have to do something about it. We live in a generation and it's already been a few hundred years, just deteriorating more and more every year, every generation, of people just being aloof, nonchalant, careless about what anybody else does. If he wants to be a sinner, let him be a sinner. He wants to be tzaddik, it's his business, let him be a tzaddik. He wants to cheat on his wife, on his customers, on the keilah, on God, on everything, that's his problem. 
But what happened to the mitzvah called Israel Arevim Zelazay? What happened to the mitzvah when Hashem Itbach says, you're all counted as one, you're a nation. You're all counted as one, you're all responsible for each other. Why? It's only when somebody gets sick, you go and you pretend like you care, you go to the hospital with some chocolates? Or with the flowers that no hospital patient wants? Trust me, I spend a lot of time in the hospitals. No hospital patient wants the flowers. Keep them to yourself. Quite frankly, most hospital patients don't even want you to come. Why? Because you see in your face, you're annoyed to be there. People don't come to the hospital, hey, when he's fine, listen, they give you chizuk. When they come, they complain to you. Ah, oh, you're in pain? Yeah, yeah, no, you know what? I actually had a flat tire on the way here. You know how hot it is outside? It's better that you're here, actually. You know how difficult it is in the market right now, in the business? I don't know, maybe you can give me some advice. I'm dying from pain. What advice? I'm dying from pain. You tell me your problems? People don't know. They don't, they, 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 instead of being helpful and giving you chizuk, don't worry, things are going to be okay. Let me give you a good story. Let me give you something you can tell you could, that's going to give you uh, some, some koach. Why are they giving you your problems? Listen, I know, you know you're over here, you're sick, but just, just to remind you, just so you don't forget, that 500 bucks I lent you, you can take care of that when you get out of the hospital, right? You take, you take care of that when... Unless people just don't care. I remember a long time ago, there was a comedian, maybe 30 years ago. There's a comedian in Israel. His skin killed himself. He said in a comedy skit, he said he was talking, making fun of America. And he says, you know, in America, you could uh, fall down Die. Nobody cares. You're in pain. Nobody cares. He goes, in Israel, if you just miss a step, 87 people come to you and ask you, you okay? What's going on? You okay? Huh? Who? Then your business right away. He goes, maybe I want that freedom that nobody cares. Maybe I want. He's making fun of the whole thing. The truth is, he's right. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. I'm not talking about the Goyim don't care. But Ami Israel doesn't care. Why don't we care? Why is it that sometimes you see righteous Noahides or people that are in the process of converting care more about Jews doing tshuva than the Jews themselves? How come? How come you see every new convert so zealous for Hashem they're willing to kill somebody just like Pinchas? Real converts, not the fake ones that did for money or marriage or some shtuyot like that. Or a new Baal Tshuva, fire. The from sometimes they're on like a park. They're on neutral. Don't move if you push them a little bit. Not all of them, chas v'shalom. But I'm saying, how come it's like that? How can we tell people, listen, you know, 90%, 90% of Jews in America don't keep Shabbat. 90% Hashem Yachem, if you know what that means, how can you not cry? Yeah, but it's not the same, they'll do tshuva. What do you mean, it's not the same, do tshuva? Yeah, hopefully Mashiach is going to come. No, don't say it. Don't say hopefully Mashiach comes. He comes all dead. He comes, don't finish. Like Mitzrayim. 
How come they don't care? Rabbi someone told me last night, he said, you know, maybe you get some of your students to write down some of the things you say, and after a while they collect the information, and they go out there themselves, go start giving shiurim from the notebook. Take the notebooks. You fill out one, two, three, four, five notebooks. Baruch Hashem, like we did over the years. You take the information. You go read from the notebook. You start giving shiurim. Bezot Hashem, you have your own siyat nishmaya. You you put your own touch into it and so on. It says, go give shiurim. I said it's a phenomenal idea. Idea alvai. It happens. Alvai. I wish it happens. The problem is this. Nobody take any offense to it. It's true. It's offensive, but it's true. Kiruv Rabotai Karim is only 10% knowledge. 90% heart. Knowledge, we're going to talk about how to attain it today, how to be a Talmid, how to be a student. Talmid Chacham, Tzadik, Kadosh, Mizakir Abim, someone does Kiruv, that, that, that's 90% heart. Why? You have to care. You have to care. We live in a generation where Torah is so accessible, so accessible, that, mamash, there's, like a, there's such a midata din, there's such a kitrug in shamayim against anyone that doesn't learn Torah. Why? All you got to do is press a button or go to the shelf and just grab it and read. Grab it and read. Grab it and read. That's a story. In the old days, you had to travel to deserts, through jungles, through uh, all types of places to go. Hopefully, you find one book. Hopefully, he lets you in. The guy that actually holds the book lets you in. Not only lets you in, he has to let you stay there for a few months until you finish the book. Today, all you got to do is open a book, read. You want to be Talmud Chacham? It's easy. Read, do, read, do, read, do. So how come not everybody's done Chacham? How come all of Amisa hasn't done Tshuva yet? How come we have people that call themselves Frum, that go on the internet and make uh, derogatory comments against me, Rav Mizrahi, or many other rabbis in the Torah and mitzvot and, and, and pretty much everything that says in the Torah? How come? Otherwise, they, the, the wicked atheists and uh, secular lefty liberals that hate themselves and God and everything in between. Not talking about those people. They're, they're borderline not even human, some of them. I think, honestly, some of them are shedim. They have to be. It's like some, of, some of the things they say, and it's like, there's no way this person has a heart. A person goes into a, into a shul and puts the finger to Hashem, like this uh, so-called rapper in Israel. He goes into, in one of his uh, videos, someone showed me, he goes into a uh, synagogue and gives Hashem the finger. Hashem Yachem. Israeli guy. Menuval. Thinks he's special. He doesn't realize he's going to be poop in a few years. No one's going to care about him. Him and the money he's not going to have anyway. He doesn't realize greater people have risen and greater people have fallen. He thinks because he has a few dollars he means something. 
As a broke, this guy is gonna be, this guy is gonna be poop, poop in the street. Street. You say it actually, you probably don't know, so I'll tell you. I'll tell you, hey douche. I liked it. These types of things I like. I don't know why I like them. You say, Right? We praise Hashem at the end of every prayer, we say, Right? So, we say, we're praying to Hashem, and they're praying to Abu Dazara, all these people, and Hashem is going to destroy all of this Abu Dazara. So, it says in the second paragraph, Al ken nekavelach Adonai Eloheinu, lirot mera betifaret uzecha, laavir gilulim, min haaretz, Vaililim says, therefore, we put our hope in you, Hashem, our God, to see soon the glory of your might to banish idols from the earth and the false gods will be utterly cut down. To perfect the world with the kingdom of Hashem. So the question is, how come it says idols and false gods in the same sentence? It's the same thing. In the English translation, in this version, it says idols, gilulim, and elilim, false gods. Same thing, an idol is a false god. So how come it says it? Because that's not really the translation. Gilulim means poop. Nothing. Filth. Disgusting. Feces. Filth of the world. To banish the filth of the world. All the reshaim, the atheists, the missionaries, all those people that are considered filth to Hashem. Them and their false god. Once you banish them and their false god, then it's going to perfect the world. Then it's going to perfect the world. Why? So long as you have filth roaming in the streets, the world is not perfect. Hashem, you're too holy to have such disgusting creatures. The ant, how beautiful the ant is. Do you ever see an ant, how beautiful it is? The creation, how hardworking the ant is, how clean it is, always cleans itself, always works. It collects enough food during the first day of its existence for the rest of its life, but it continues working every day. Lech la nemala. Go to the ant and go learn. What? Don't be lazy. Go learn how to be lazy, Shlomo Amela tells you. Lech la nemala atzel. You lazy bum, go learn from the, uh, from the ant not to be lazy. How beautiful the ant is. Even these frogs that I don't like, technically it's a beautiful creation. You see how beautiful Hashem Amash means little creature jumps, do, 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 all over the place. It's got little feet, little hands, little this, little that, eyes. Beautiful creature. What does it do all day? It says to Hashem, Baruch Hashem Evorach. All day it sanctifies Hashem's name. The frog. But then you have some people, some people that are uglier than frogs. What do they do? They give a finger to Hashem. Why is this to Hashem? Please, you have to destroy these things from the world. We're going to celebrate when you destroy these things from the world. Because they're filth. You understand? So when people get offended that you pray that you say, this guy's a rasha, and this guy's a rasha, 
and she's a Rashaid, you tell him, listen, you pray to God? Yes. Who, which God do you pray to? God of Israel or your own God? Oh, I pray to God of Israel, of course. Oh, you say Hatan, everything, all things, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you do the same thing. You do the same thing. Every day, no less than three times a day, you do Amidah. In Amidah, you say, I can't wait for these Rashaim to die. The missionaries, the Mechalei Shabbat, the atheists, I can't wait for them to die. I pray for them to die. Or do Tshuva, but I'll why they die also. Why? If they're not going to do Tshuva right the second, it's better they die. Because every second they're alive, they're going against my, my Hashem. So you do Amidah three times a day, you pray for them to die. So what makes you do anything? You're worse than me. I just say the Rashaim. You're praying for them to die. Every day you do you do tefillah, you pray three times a day. He called him filth. He called him poop. You call your cousin that's a mechalel Shabbat poop. You call your mom that's a, that goes imadis poop. Yeah, and you're telling the Hashem, Hashem, can't wait for you to destroy her. But she's your mom. Kibudavayim. What happened? She's your mom. Is she supposed to honor her? No, there's no mitzvah to honor someone's rasha. Of course, we don't want to dishonor them. You have to go out of your way to dishonor them, and the point is to help them do tshuva. But don't pretend you're so righteous that you see the good in everyone. You're not the Baal Shem Tov, please. The reality is, Rabotai, there's a mitzvah in the Torah, they obligate you to do it. That's why it's on our tefillah, that even if you don't know that what you're doing is what you're doing, you're still doing it. Why? Because Shem knows you have feelings. And sometimes those feelings distort your judgment. And you feel bad for the Rishayim. You're not allowed to feel bad for Rasha. You're not allowed to feel bad for Rasha. In fact, the, the um, Rambam writes in Chot Shuvah, if someone has a special level Rasha, a mean, a pikos, missionary, atheist type of mentality that goes out there and gets other people to go against the Shem, not just someone that uh, believes he came from a monkey because he's a monkey, not because, uh, because he's ignorant. I'm talking about someone that actively goes against the Shem. Gets people to violate Shabbat. Gets people to go worship false gods. The Rambam Posek Le'alecha says, if he comes to you to do tshuva, you're not allowed to help him. Not allowed, let him die. Not allowed to help him. Why? You can't trust him. Maybe, maybe he's just pretending. Maybe he's pretending to be a tzaddik all of a sudden. It's too risky. Too risky, you're not allowed to sacrifice your own neshama for the shayim. We don't call out sinners. Sinners, Baruch Hashem, we are part of them. Everybody sins. En tzaddik No such thing as someone tzaddik and doesn't make sense. Everybody sins. We're not talking about that. Talk about reshaim. Reshaim, Rabotai, when I talk about rasha, I'm talking about specifically someone that goes against the Shem on purpose. With a mission. Meaning, he has no care in the world for Ritzon Hashem. No care in the world for what Hashem wants. Only what his desires are. So when he goes out and he insults a Talmit Chacham in public, he insults a Mezakeh Rabim in public, someone that does Kiruv, someone that gets people to do Tshuva, he insults even a kosher Jew, just a regular kosher Jew in public for no reason. That's a rasha. That's a rasha. Why? 
Because especially when that person's job, his life mission has become to go recruit Hashem's children and bring them back home. For free. Go recruit them and bring them back to Hashem. And you're going to go against them to get in the way of it? There's no one more evil than that. That person is no different than a Catholic Christian missionary. He's no different. He's judged as a mean. That's why Rabotai, when I say these things, when someone goes against Hashem, I have no pleasure whatsoever out of it. I feel bad. I feel bad that there's such people like this in the world. I feel bad that I'm the one that has to say it and a hundred thousand people didn't say it before me. I feel bad that Hashem's name is being desecrated every second we exist. What did He ever do to deserve this? All He does is give us good. What we do, we desecrate His name, Hashem. Makes you want to cry. If it doesn't, you should check your heart, maybe you're not alive. So we call somebody a Rasha, Rabotai, it's nothing personal. It's what the Torah describes as Rasha. It's what the Torah describes as Rasha. So ask Hashem. Hashem, Hashem, am I right? Every week there's a new person. There's Goldberg, Shem Rashaim Yerkav, there's Drol Kasuto. Rasha. There's the, uh, I don't know, the guy from Arizona? Oh, that guy's a stupid. Rasha. Whatever, there's plenty of them. Every week there's somebody new. Every week there's somebody new. Who wants this headache? What do you guys think? I enjoy this. Who wants this headache? Every day say, so, oh, why'd you say this? I like him. I hate him. I like him. Maybe you should have done it this way, this way, or that way. This is not the way. My Rebbe told me this way. My Rebbe told me that way. Okay, let your Rebbe tell you whatever he tell you. Fine. What do you want for my life? If you don't want to say it, don't say it. I'm obligated to say it. Why? Mishnah Navot says, Makom ish, liyot ish. A place that there's no leader, you be the leader. Yeah, but I'm not Raui. I'm not appropriate to be a leader. I barely know my name, how to spell it. What do I know Bechlal in the world? doesn't make a difference. You have, you have the ability to say the truth, go do it. The Gemaraim Masechet Sanhedrin says, in a place there is Chilul Hashem and Kvod Arav. place there is Chilul Hashem, there's no consideration to the honor of any rabbi. Let it be a Dayan, let it be a big rabbi, small rabbi. It won't make a difference. Hashem's honor comes before everything. So it gives me no pleasure to tell you all these names, but the reality is I'm tired of being quiet. And it's not just me quiet, other people quiet, quiet, quiet. No, no, maybe this, maybe this. The people just get worse and worse. And victims keep falling to them because no one says anything. And people donate to them. And people give them. And people support them. And people high-five them and marry them and have kids with them. Shem It's going to go on your cheshbon. The wife one day is going to come to you saying, Allah Mabai, say, how come? How come you didn't tell me my husband's a rasha? You knew. What do you think? There's lies in Shemaim? What do you think? There's a, you can pretend? No, no, I didn't know. Oh, I thought he's going to do tshuva. What do you mean? Do you, he, he killed eight people on the way to work every day on the internet. 
He murdered people on the internet every single day. Why come you didn't tell me? How come you didn't tell me you had a fake profile murdering people? How come? Calling himself Dana Cohen. Calling himself uh, all these uh, all these other Reshaim on, on the list of Dana Cohen. The David Kaplan, Imachimov Ezichro. All these people calling themselves all these people. How come you didn't tell me? How come? I married him. How come you didn't tell me? How come? I married him. I had kids with him. I suffered my whole life with him. Now I'm stuck with him in Allahabad too. How come you didn't tell me? He's a murderer. So Rabotai, it's painful. But it's definitely less painful than the pain a person would receive for not saying. It's painful to say. The people are shine. But it's much less painful than the pain a person would get for being quiet. So when I asked Hashem, Hashem, please give me something. Oh, Hashem, He gave me a parasha. Nothing better than the parasha Shavua. Which one? Always the same week. I always tell you guys, you ever want to see a miracle? Just read the current parasha. So in Parashat Korach, we learn about someone that used to be a tzaddik. Used to be kadosh. Used to be a navi. Used to be a prophet. His name was Korach. Korach was part of Shevet Levi. And Eben Ha'ezel says that when he found out that Hashem decided to make Aaron and his sons, the Kohanim, he got angry. Why? He says, wait a minute. Until now, from the time of Adam Arishon, until now, meaning almost 2,500 years, any time somebody was handling the, the Kobanot, the, 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 the servicing of Hashem, who was it? The firstborn. The firstborn would give to Hashem. Korach was firstborn. Now, it's the Kwanim, meaning, I'm out of work, I'm fired. He's taking my job. Pretends to be zealous, like he's saying, he's pretending to be zealous. No, no, I want to go work for Hashem. So he got angry. The Tam Aviram also were firstborn. They were from Shevet Reuven. Maybe that's why I came as a Gilgul, maybe I'm related to them. Could be, who knows? Hey, couldn't have been a tzaddik if I'm still in this generation. You gotta face facts. The Tamba Aviram and on all were actually on Ben Pelet, which his wife saved him last minute, were all part of the Shevet Reuven. And they were all firstborn. So they all got angry too. Aaron and his sons are taking our job. Working in the uh, Bet HaMikdash. So the Ebn Ezra says, Korach came to Moshe and says, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't buy what you're saying that Hashem decided that your brother happens to be, happens to be, in quotations, happens to be, coincidence, your brother is going to take everybody's job. All the firstborns, that's it, all fired, the whole thing is going to your brother. Happens to be, he talks to you, Hashem, and who does he give the job to? To your brother. No, come on, there's collusion here. 
It's politics. It's no way. Come on, look at us. Look how many we are. We're all Nevi'im. We're all prophets. We're not Rishayim. We're all prophets. We all saw the Shekhinah. We all saw wonderful things in Mount Sinai. You didn't see anything different than us. So why is he picking your brother? I don't buy it. I don't buy it, Moshe. I don't buy it. The problem was that this was a moment of weakness for the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu because if you notice the last two parashot, we had hell break loose. Hashem almost killed us every one of the last two parashot and in this parasha again. The Meraglim, we complained to Hashem about Eretz Yisrael, we complained to Hashem about the man, we complained to Hashem about not having uh, meat. Every other day Hashem almost killed all of us and people were getting killed too. He killed a bunch of us. So Korach is now saying, listen, everybody's frustrated with this whole situation that you brought us into this desert to, to the God of Israel. It's all great when everything was good. Now he's killing us because we're not following what he says. So maybe Korach says, I'm going to take advantage of the weakness. People are frustrated. They lost their cousin, their aunt, their kid. Because it was Rasha. They didn't actually calculate that part. They just calculated they lost somebody they love. They let their emotions get the best of them. And Korah says everyone's frustrated, everyone's scared. I'm going to capitalize on it. How? I'm not buying the story anymore. What we saw, we saw. But no one saw Hashem pick Aaron. I'm not buying it. Rav Lach, not for you. Enough for you, uh, Moshe. Rav Lachem, enough. You already have enough. You are you. It's it. You don't have to give the job to your brother. I want the job. So now everyone knows the famous story is you're going to read the parashah, Bezat Hashem, if you haven't yet. You have to read it at least three times before Shabbat. You're going to read and you're going to see that Moshe says, okay. We're gonna all we're gonna test it. How? I'm gonna bring a Koban, you know. I was gonna bring a Koban. And you and all your people, the two hundred fifty Gdoleado rabbis that are supporting you, that are also all firstborn, by the way. That was also part of their vested interest. Number one, they were angry because they're losing their job as firstborn. Number two, the number one donor is Korach. Who are they gonna support? The Gemara says they supported him because he donated to them. They didn't want to lose their donor. Yeah, but he's a Rasha. Ah, maybe he'll do tshuva. But he's a Rasha. He's going against Moshe Rabbeinu. Ah, maybe he'll do tshuva. You know, that's the type of people. They sell God for money. So Moshe says, okay, we'll bring Koban. We'll bring Koban. And now we're going to pray. Tomorrow, we're going to have the showdown. Moshe cries to Hashem, Hashem, don't listen to them. I never took anything from them. Moshe is worried. Why? Because he's humble. He doesn't know his chuyot. He doesn't know how many merits he has. He doesn't know what kind of merits the Korach has. He doesn't know. But he says, Hashem, Bemet, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing, I'm looking at all my cheshbon, what I did. I didn't take a single penny from them. I never stole. I never took. I never said anything you didn't tell me. Everything they're blaming for is not true. What Hashem doesn't know. He knows, but, but, but Moshe is so humble, 
He's unsure of himself. Why is this tikkun coming? Vaidaber Adonai el Moshe, Hashem responds to Moshe in a very direct way. Now, what a pasuk! He talks to him. Vela Aaron leemor, ibadlu mitoch aeda azot, veachaleh otam karega. Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron, saying, "Separate yourselves." From amid this assembly, and I shall destroy them in an instant. I'll kill everybody. Not just the Koach and Adato, everyone. Meaning, this is the third time in three weeks, three parashot in a row, Hashem wants to kill everybody. Not just Koach, everyone. Why? You're going against Moshe, you're going against me. You're going against the Torah, you're going against me. But how is everybody else going against Moshe? They're not, uh, it said Korach, Ve'adato, Korach, and 250 rabbis. Not everybody, there's millions of people. There are millions of people. Not everybody is saying that Korach is right. Not everybody is saying, Hashem says, I'm going to kill everybody. Why? Why Hashem? Relax. Why? He says, because they didn't speak out. They didn't speak out, by default they agreed. If they didn't fight for Moshe, they didn't fight for Hashem. They didn't fight for Hashem, that means they agree with Korach. If you don't fight for Hashem, you agree with the Satan. You agree with the wrong. You cannot stay quiet. So now, instead of Moshe saying, you know what Hashem, I think you're right now. Last couple of times I pretended, like I, I, I defended them, I defended them. Enough, enough. Kill them, Hashem, let's start something new. That's why I'm not Moshe. That's why I'm not That's why I'm not Moshe. But now, Rabotai, what does Moshe do? Moshe and Aaron falls on his face and starts hysterical crying. No, Hashem, don't kill everybody. Just the, the, those few. That maybe they're going to do tshuva. He starts fighting for them. Wait, they're going against you, Moshe. No, no, it's not about me, Hashem. It's about you. They're going against you. I don't care about me. Who goes me? Hashem says to him, Hashem says to Moshe and Aaron, stay away from these people. Moshe and Aaron come to the people and deliver the message. Turn away from these reshaim. He hasn't called them all from these people that uh, are making a few averot. These people that are not politically correct. These people that are uh, liberals. No! What does he call them to? Turn away from these reshaim. Why? That's the description. You go against the Shem, you're Rasha. These wicked people do not even touch anything of theirs. If, if you actually have one of their cups in your house, don't touch it. Hashem is going to destroy the cup too. The fork, the knife, the dollar, the, whatever He gave you, He's destroying everything that belongs to them. Why? If you connect to their donation, if you connect to, to anything that belongs to them, lest you perish because of all of their sins. 
you will be judged as a rasha too. And Hashem will destroy you also. You cannot defend a wicked person. You can't. It's against the Torah. What more appropriate place can we find it than the current parasha? So Rabbutai, Hashem makes it clear. Harboring a spiritual terrorist is forbidden from the Torah. Being quiet while your next door neighbor, colleague, friend, brother, sister, whoever, is murdering Jews in public, especially people that are bringing people back to Hashem, makes you wicked just like them. No different. And this is why I mentioned last night that the guy that, uh, whatever his name, what's his name again? Whatever his name is. The guy from yesterday's video that went out there and publicly insulted Rav Mizrahi in a public forum, calling him reform, which there's no one, I don't think there's anyone that's a public figure that's more the opposite of reform than Rav Mizrahi. So to go call him open orthodox, in essence what he's saying is that his Torah is just as nonsensical as the reform people from open orthodoxy. And he's not a rabbi, and he's not a real rabbi, and he's this, and all these insults. When that guy took that on, him, on, his, on himself, to go do that, he became Machtia Rabim. He became someone that causes other people to sin. Now, if he was a regular average Joe, with a couple thousand friends on his profile, works for, I don't know, for UPS or something, works for the, the deli, the sin is limited to some extent. Why? He represents himself. Because his job, his life, and everything else does not represent Judaism, per se. And uh, only the people that care about him would care about what he said. Usually. It's a bad thing, and they'll have to go to Gainom for it, maybe forever, but the damage is contained. Now when he writes on his profile that he works for Chazak, a Jewish organization, and then you look at all of his profile pictures, without an exception, every single one of them, he's involved in some Chazak event. And in some of the events, he has a shirt that says Chazak staff. Meaning, he is a staff member of Chazak. And then you see him in pictures with the founders of Chazak. And then you see him in pictures with Ephraim Goldberg. And then you see him in pictures with uh, Lord Sachs. You see him in pictures with enemies of Rav Mizrahi. You start adding some things up. What's going on here? So we bring it out to light. Because apparently, it's not a secret that many of the supporters of Chazak are actually students of Rav Mizrahi. He helped them do tshuva. The entire Bukharian community is indebted to him for helping the community for the last 25 years, Baruch Hashem. 
a lot of his students uh, go to the Chazak events, support Chazak, give money to Chazak, all these things to Chazak. And even if it wasn't, it's still, you, you get many lectures for them, many events with them. How are they not burning up themselves to issue a press release to say, we have no relations whatsoever with this strange person that made these comments against Rav Mizrahi. We have no relation to him. He stole a shirt from us, says staff. The, the, the pictures that he has with all these uh, founders of Chazak, it's just, uh, we didn't know who he was at the time. Or maybe it's Photoshop or something. I don't know, say something. Like, oh, how, how can you just stand there while a Mezakeh Rabim, a person that's de- dedicated his life to Fahami Israel is being murdered in cold blood on the internet. How? Ari Roseman, that's the guy. How, how, how is it possible? How is it possible that people are just so careless living in their own world? How? We contacted them, said, what's going on? Who? No, he doesn't work here. What do you mean he doesn't work? You think I was born in a tree? You think I'm a monkey? I have eyes, I have ears, I, I, I see the guy, what do you mean? He has a shirt, he says staff. I ran a company before, I wasn't born in a box. I ran a business. I know what it's like to run a business. When you run a business, especially a small business, you know everybody. You know their birthdays, their anniversaries, their blood type, when their days are sick, when they're late, where they went for the weekend, how, how they speak, how they did, how, if they're crazy, if they're normal. You know why it's a small business. You're not uh, Coca-Cola. You don't have 150,000 employees. Don't pretend he doesn't work there. And if he doesn't work there, then he stole something from you. Bottom line is, there's a Jew that's being murdered in cold blood right now. You're just going to stand there and pretend nothing's wrong? No, he doesn't work here? Come on. So we sent the message. The message that I got in the back, he doesn't work here. I said, okay, he works there. And then I sent a picture with the staff shirt. It's unusual for a company to give staff shirt to people that are not staff. Because somebody can represent you and misrepresent you. If somebody, this actually was a news release recently, maybe two weeks ago. UPS had a press release. They said, unfortunately, somebody stole several big boxes of UPS uniforms and they're being sold in the black market and we think they're going to be used for terrorism. Meaning people are wearing UPS uniforms. You think it's a UPS driver, it could be an Arab terrorist. Did they hide it? No. But it looks bad for you. Somebody stole your uniforms. Looks bad, looks bad. Your life's in danger. You're going to lose money. People are not going to ship with you. That's the risk. What are you going to do? Your life is more precious than our uh, our name. And in order to protect our precious name, we have to protect your life. You see that a Jew is being murdered in cold blood, you're praying, you're playing aloof? Yeah, no, no, why should we put a press release? We didn't write it, we didn't say it. Yeah, but somebody that says that he is you said it. So the game of playing, he doesn't work, he doesn't work here, doesn't fly. Why? Because they think I'm retarded for some reason. And they, the guy changes profile, now he removed, works for Chazak. He still has all the pictures though. 
But you look at his profile now, he doesn't, he doesn't say he works for Chazak anymore. So that makes it go away, like it's a headache. They gave me an Advil. So Abutai, I want, I, I want the truth. I want, does he work there or he doesn't work there? That's what I want to know. I have nothing against Chazak. It's nothing personal here. Unless they're part of the crime. Why? Because the crime is against Hashem. It's nothing to do with me. Mentioning names. What else are you going to do? Pretend? Want me to be a pantomime? Oh, there's a company that's there. and Maybe you guys are going to fix it that way? What do you want me to do? How are you going to fix the problem? Nobody else says anything. He sent me a text. says, oh yeah, maybe you could contact one of the rabbis of Chazak. You could tell them. You worked there, you said. What's the, what's the politics for? There's a, there's a Jew being murdered in cold blood. You, know, you, don't, you don't care. And that's why if you look at the book of Zechariah, Rabotai, Hashem commands us to do this. The prophet Zechariah in chapter 8, verse 16, says, these are the things that you should do. Speak emet, speak the truth with one another. And in the gates, judge with emet, justice and peace. Do not think evil towards one another in your hearts, and do not love false oaths, for all of these are what I hate, the words of Hashem. Don't pretend he doesn't work there if he does. And if he doesn't work there, then what's the problem of saying to people that he doesn't work there? What's the problem? It's your name on the line. If people think he works there because he looks like he works there, then why, why aren't you defending your name? What's the problem? I don't understand. Is it so? I want me to write the email for you? It takes 37 seconds. Dear everyone, this guy, Ari Roseman, does not work at Chazak. What he said has nothing to do with our beliefs about Rav Mizrahi. You could say a support message if you want for Rav Mizrahi or not. That's up to you. That's a plus. It's like a bonus, which you should. But otherwise, no, love Chazak staff. What's the problem? Why is everybody so lethargic and like, no, well, what's the problem? That's because people are not after a mate. Because it's not them. One time there was a boy got hurt. Blood all over his face. Fell, broke his head, blood all over his face. Aravi again, Allah Shalom, saw him outside. Grabbed the kid. He started going back, you know, to take the kid to his mom. Some woman from the second floor Ah, Bezat Hashem, don't worry, Kvodarav, he's little, he's going to grow up. I'll get over it. It's okay. It's okay. Baruch Hashem. Everything is for the good. Everything is for the good. You know, you say it's for the good. Everything's for the good. He's crying though. He's bleeding all over the place. No, no, everything's for the good. Everything's for the good. It's for the good. And as he got closer and closer and closer and closer, there was an, ah, Moshe! Moshe! Oh, Moshe! How do you this? He started ripping her hair. Oh, no, 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 no. What happened? She realized it's her Moshe. She, she realized her son. Oh, why? What, what happened to everything's going to be good? Everything's going to be a bit of shame. Everything's going to be okay. 
Everything's for the... What happened? Oh, that's when it's somebody else's Moshe. That's when it's somebody else's son. What about when it's your son? Let's stop pretending, Abutai. Let's stop pretending. Stop pretending. You're a Jew? Everybody's your Moshe. This Midat Aemet, Rav Kanievsky, Shichye, says is the most difficult. Why? You're constantly at war. To stand for the truth, you're constantly at war. Why? There's Sheker everywhere. That's why Chazal said, Alma de Shikra. What does Alma de Shikra mean? World of lies. Not. This is a neighborhood of lies. It's a community of lies. It's a sect of lies. It's a religion of... No, no. Alma deshikam. Everything's a lie. There's lies everywhere. Which means that if you have midata you are a person of truth, by default, you're fighting against the world. You're fighting against the world. Why? For the amen. Because that's Hashem's signature. That's Hashem's signature. It doesn't make you anything special. It just makes you real. It just makes you a person that wants to serve Hashem and not himself. So the other midot, Rabotai, that we're going to learn about today are midot of a student. But we already learned in previous Mishnayot that a person that wants to be a student. If he has no Yirat Shamayim, he's not going to have a met. And if he doesn't have a met, his whatever he learns will not be fulfilled. It's all for nothing. He's wasting his time. It's like he's collecting gold bars in a sack that has a hole in the bottom. He thinks, oh, another one, another one. He doesn't realize he's picking up the same gold bar that just dropped. So if a person doesn't have this midah, doesn't start working on himself to stand for the truth, this is like a show to him. It's not life. It's fake. So the sages explain here in Mishnah 5.17. Hey, Yud Zayn. Arba midot be'olche bet ha-midrash. Olech. ואינו עושה, שכר הליכה בידו. עושה, ואינו הולך, שכר מעשה בידו. הולך ועושה חסיד, לא הולך ולא עושה רשע. The first one is a person that goes, one that goes but doesn't study. Goes to the kolel, goes to the shiur Torah, but uh, doesn't use it like he's supposed to. He goes and socializes. Doesn't pay attention. Plays with his phone the whole time. But the Mishnah says, he still has a reward. For what? For going. We'll find out why. 
Second one is a person who studies at home. He stays at home. He doesn't go, but he stays at home. But he doesn't attend the Bet Midrash. The reward, he gets a reward also. For what? For his accomplishment of learning Torah. He doesn't have the reward of going, like the first guy, but he gets a reward of studying. We'll see which one is better. If there's a default, if it always means if you study at home it's better, or it always means if you study at the shiur it's better, if there's a default or it's case by case. The third one is, Olech ve'oseh chasid. Third one is someone that goes to the Bet Midrash, to the synagogue also, same thing, and also studies. Not only he goes, but he also goes there and he studies. What is he? Chasid. It's Midat Chasidut. So if you're going to the Bet Midrash to have a couple of drinks with your friends, to chit-chat and so on, you're not a Chasid, for sure. The Fabrengs don't make you a Chasid. Just like the, the Rebbe Nirsen, Allah Shalom said, people that think that the exterior clothing and the beards and the lulas and the febrengs are making people chasidim, these are people that are look like chasidim, grew up like chasidim, but inside they're empty. They don't have an idea of what it means to be a chasid. Wants to be a chasid? Study Torah. Last one. Lo lech velose. Rasha. Person not only doesn't go, but he also doesn't study the home either. Doesn't know anything. Doesn't do anything. Or he thinks he knows enough maybe. So he doesn't study anymore. I already learned. First 20 years of my life I learned. Okay, what about now? No, I know enough. I know who Moshe Rabbeinu is. I know Moshe Rabbeinu is. I know Shabbat you can't drive. I know. Mishnah says, Rasha. A person that doesn't kovea etim la Torah, lo kam betchiat amitim. A person that does not make time, regular time, to study Torah every day, does not get resurrected with the dead, Gemara says. should pray for the Mashiach not to come. It's not going to help him. You have to study Torah. We're not saying you have to study 24 hours a day. You should. We're not saying you have to. We have to study. Why? You can't know how to be a Jew without studying Torah. You're going to be a Mechalel Shabbat because you're not going to know Alachot Shabbat. You're going to be Mechalel Yom Tov because you're not going to know how to keep Yom Tov. You're going to be Mechalel Kashrut because you're not going to know what's kosher, what's not kosher. You're not going to know. You're going to be Mechalel Shem Shamayim because you're not going to know how to conduct business like a kosher Jew. As one tzaddik sends me a lot of business questions. And he has some good questions. Last night he sends me a question. He says, I'm in a certain business. It's a very competitive business. I think every business is competitive, but he is in a certain business. And uh, certain, com- you know, certain c- competitors, certain companies in the industry have more money. So you can't compete with them in advertising. Meaning, if you want to start a new soda company, let's say you invented a fantastic, delicious soda. Good for you. Hopefully the, the local deli will pick you up. 
But if you think that you're going to compete with Coca-Cola, you're living in a, in a la-la land. Why? They have an unlimited budget. They invented a figure called Santa Claus. Permit. Santa Claus, even though he was originally a Christian invention, he wasn't uh, uh, red and white. That's Coca-Cola's invention. Coca-Cola's colors are red and white. Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus. Then he goes from house to house and he gives presents. They invented the story. You're not going to compete with them. No, but it's more delicious. Who cares? You invented a new phone. You want to compete with Apple. Good luck with that, buddy. Yeah, but it's better technology. So what? Your best case scenario, they'll let you survive for a couple years to make a few bucks and they'll buy you. That's the best case scenario. Most likely, most likely, either them or Samsung or one of the other big ones are just going to steal your technology and say, okay, we'll see you in court. Sue us. They're going to take your phone, take the technology from it, steal it, put it on their phone as if it's theirs, start making billions off of it, and you're going to, good luck suing us. If you get appeal, good luck suing. They have a building, a building full of lawyers. You can't afford a local uh, local lawyer because you wanted a uh, retainer for ten thousand dollars. You, you, you're barely making mortgage. Good luck suing. That's that's a reality of life, Chabotai. It's a reality of life. I learned this on my own blood. I wanted to be the next Merrill Lynch. I wanted to be the next Goldman Sachs. I wanted to be the big wig. I wanted to build a firm. We had better this and better this and better this and better this and better this. You know, it's all going to sound like a conspiracy theory. But they didn't like what I wanted. So they helped it stop. That's for another lecture. Anyway, Rabutai... person needs to know where he stands. Now, when a person is looking at this Mishnah, it seems like it's just talking about four different types of people, four types of students. How is it relevant to me? How is it not relevant to me? So we're going to see. We're going to see. The first type of student... The first commentary actually says, Right away, the sages jump on this. Rambam and Magin Avot say, Wait a minute. It says here in the Mishnah, there are four types of people that go to the Bet Midrash. But if you notice, two of them don't actually go. Two out of the four, it says they don't go. One guy studies at home, one guy doesn't go at all. So why does it say four people go to the Bet Midrash? He says, From here we learn. It's not necessarily people go physically to the Bet Midrash, but rather these are four attitudes that people display towards attending a Bet Midrash, towards learning Torah. What's the value of learning Torah? Is it important? Is it not important? Is it a priority? Is it not a priority? Now, I'm sure if I ask you guys, is learning Torah a priority? You're all going to get the answer right. They're all going to say yes. But 
really believe it. You ask everybody on the internet watching the shiur right now. And everyone's going to watch the shiur. Is learning Torah important? I'm sure some guys are going to say, hey, idiot, what do you think I'm watching your shiur for? What kind of question is that? Okay. So, you have to ask yourself a question. Do you really believe that or are you just saying it? Do you believe that learning Torah is important or are you just saying it? How do you know? You ask yourself these three questions. One, do you take your Torah learning seriously? Now, if you had a deal for a million dollars, or whatever you think is a lot of money, you'll pay your bills, buy the house you want, pay tuition for the kids, to koshi yeshiva, buy your wife something nice, buy your husband something nice. A lot of money. You're working on that deal. And one of your kids comes, or one of your friends comes to you and wants to play. Hey, you want to play football? Hey, you want to watch some shows with me? You want to play with the, with the, with the boots, with the uh, mud in the streets with me, in the, outside? Hey, hey, kid, come back later. I'm busy with a deal. Why? You have to take the deal seriously. You have to take the deal seriously, Right? You're not going to play with mud and then go back to the deal. Oh, hold on, sir. Hold on, Mr. Gates. Hold on. I'm going to go play with the mud with my kid for a few minutes. Then I'll come back. I'll make sure to change my shirt because there's going to be mud on it. It doesn't look good for our million-dollar deal. You're not going to do that, right? Because you're a normal person. You took that deal seriously because the money means something to you. But how come we have our phone on our table on when we learn Torah? And every two seconds, I'm talking to myself right now. Every two seconds, I don't know if your phone is that busy. Mine's really busy. Every two seconds, it makes all these noises. And every two seconds, you're learning. Uh, she said, uh, she, uh, you have like a twitch on your neck. Why? You can't help it. You can't help it. The WhatsApp, the Shmatsap, the Facebook, the Shmeetbook, all that stuff. Every two seconds, a message from somebody. And even if you shut off everything, somebody comes in anyway. Uh, are you busy? Are you busy? Yeah, somebody on the phone for you. Yeah, they did. How come? How come? How come you watch the show in the background? In the background, you watch the shiur. I'm watching, like I'm watching, eat the popcorn, like, yeah, 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 it's a good shiur. So what do you think? Yeah, what do you think? You think he's right about Chazak? You think he's right? What do you think? We think about, he's right about LeBron James too with the basketball. Yeah. You forgot there's a shiur on. People go in the comments, they start commenting against each other. Oh, you're a missionary, you're a shah, you're a, hey, there's a shiur going on. There's a shiur going on. What are you saying comments? Why one guy comes to the shulim office, tabach shimol, as Hashem gives me tikunim, midah keneged midah. The guy comes to the shul, he's on the internet while he's in front of me the whole time. One of the shulim, I said it, I said, you know, yeah, the people talk in the internet, and he's, he's, he's nodding. Yeah, 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 you guys gotta stop, you guys gotta stop. I see in the comments later on, while I'm talking, he's typing. Tabach shimol, I'm like, Wow. A person does not see the faults in himself, like Mara says. 
does not see the faults in himself. He looks in a mirror and he sees the wrong in the person behind him. So now if you had a million dollar deal, million dollar deal, million dollar deal, pay focus, focus, no mud, no, no, no phone, no vibrate, no vibrate, no nothing, no Twitter, no Facebook, no nothing. Why? You want the money. But you get Torah, eh, I'll study when I get a chance. I'm going to study with the book, but also with the phone, and with the coffee, and with the beastly, and with the, with the, with the potato chips, and the bamba, and the stock market quote in the background, and Maria brought a Roma on, uh, on the TV over here, so make sure that she, whatever she really, and, and, and Pepsi and stock quotes, and it's, and Barney, and Schmarney, everything. You want the kids to, you're playing with the kids, and you learn. That's learning. If you failed on the first question, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You have to start again. But if you passed, if you passed the first question, ask the second question. Ask the second question. I haven't got the second question yet. Second question is, are you serious about the Torah learning? Like you would be serious about treasure. What does it mean? Are you serious about Torah learning as you're serious about treasure? What does it have to do with it? Didn't we just talk about a million dollars? Not the same. Not the same. Shlomo HaMelech, Shutot Agen Alenu, the book of Proverbs. Chapter 2, verse 1-6. It says, My child, if you accept my words, and treasure my commandments with yourself to make your ears attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For only if you call out to understanding and give forth your voice to discernment, if you seek it, eat meaning the Torah, if you seek it as if it were silver, silver meaning kesef, money, if you search for it as if it were a hidden treasure, treasure meaning priceless. You know there's a treasure in a mountain for sure, you just don't know when. You're going to turn your house into the mountain. You're not leaving. If you search it as if it were hidden treasures, then you'll understand Yirat Hashem. You'll understand the fear of Hashem. And discover the knowledge of God. For Hashem grants wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Meaning, if you want a slight, tiny, mini, microscopic chance of actually having any da Torah, any knowledge of Torah, real knowledge of Torah, not just a, you know a couple of nice stories about the Hasidut. I'm talking about, no, no, or anything about Hasidut. I'm talking about, not stories, I'm talking about Mamash, you know Torah. You have da Torah. You are somebody thinks like Torah. You have Yirat Shamayim. You know that you're in the right direction to Olam Abba. You want a chance? You have to learn Torah and put no less effort than if you were going after your business and money. No less effort than if you were looking for the biggest treasure of all treasures in the material world. Why? Because Shlomo Melech says, that's the only way you'll understand fear of Hashem. That's the only way you're going to connect to Hashem. To the basic level of connecting to Him. Which starts with fear of Hashem. 
Then if you do that, you'll actually inherit knowledge. You can get to loving Hashem, you can get to being a servant of Hashem, a real servant of Hashem, and so on and so forth, and then you'll realize that all the knowledge that you really want, Hashem is the only one that can give it to you. And he's not only talking about knowledge about the Torah. He's talking about knowledge in general. Stock market, medicine, uh, whatever knowledge you want. Cryptocurrency over here. Whatever you want. Only Hashem can give it to you. Now a lot of people think they have knowledge. But they make a lot of mistakes. How could it be? Because the knowledge is half. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. It's like connecting your phone to the charger, but you forgot to connect the charger to the wall. So nothing's charging. You wake up in the morning and it's still dead. Yeah, but I connected it to the charger. Good. It's what happened. It's not connected to the wall. The energy comes from the wall, not from the charger. The charger connects you to the wall. Searching for the chidushim in the Torah, searching for the emet in the Torah, living the words of Torah, that's the charge. That's the energy that comes from the wall. The book, that's the charger. It doesn't work if you don't connect to the emet. It doesn't work. So first and foremost, you have to ask yourself, am I taking my learning seriously? Two, am I serious about it as I am about treasure? Three, the next question is, am I as serious about learning Torah as I am about my own life? What does that have to do with your life? What does that have to do with your life? A very famous Baal Tshuva named Resh Lakish says in the Gemara, Masechet Brachot, end of the Gemara. He says, a person wants Torah, he has to be willing to sacrifice his life, mamash. Meaning, if Hashem said, listen, you're all going to get Torah if you jump off of a mountain. Done. Hashem says, you're only going to inherit Torah if you quit all of your business. Done. You're only going to get Torah if you sin the call, don't leave. Done. Fast. Done. Doesn't make a difference. Why? I want Torah. I'm serious. It's my treasure. It's my life. These are serious questions. We have to ask ourselves. Are we just watching in passing? It's just a nice joke. It's just something we like. We enjoy it. It's mentally stimulating. If it's mentally stimulating to you, good. It's half the battle. But if you're not serious about it and you don't treat it like it's a treasure and you don't make it your life, it's bound to go away just like any other hobby. Because you're treating the Torah like it's a hobby. And that's why sometimes it's very sad part of this business, call it a business if you want, of saving Neshamot, getting a Neshamot back to Am Yisrael, being Neshamot back to Hashem, is that you see people sometimes they start like a rocket. They come to the Shurim, they write notes, they send letters, they ask a million questions. Fire! One day, gone. Ground swallowed them like Korach. 
You see him one day, guy's walking around like a gangster. Woman's walking around like she's the gangster's wife. Like, what happened? What happened to Shiut Torah? Oh, yeah, you know. We stopped watching for a little while because we got busy with work. We got busy with the kids. We got busy with life. We went on vacation. We went to a mixed dance wedding. We uh, did this. We did that. We stopped watching. And then when we wanted to start watching again, it was just too much for us. We never... Never really got into it again. And um, here we are now. We haven't watched the year in six months and we're now going again. We're back to a worse situation than what we started. And this is what happens. This is what happens, Hashem Yechem. You see people start off fire. And they think they could put a little bit of room on the brake. A little bit of room on the gas. A little bit of... Let me... Take it easy. Don't get too religious on me. Don't get too religious. Torah is not like that. Hashem says, leave me for one day, I leave you for two. <coughs> the... Lechem Shamayim says, here's another understanding from this Mishnah, from this part, from the four attitudes towards the house of study. It says, this is actually referring to people that have gone to the Bet Midrash. People have grew up in the Frum world, grew up religious, spent some time going to the Bet Midrash, and you see from this Mishnah that some of them continued to go while some stopped. So the question is, why did they stop? How can you stop if it was your life? How can you stop if it was treasure? How can you stop if you took it seriously? How can you stop? Like somebody told me yesterday, yeah, you know, I have 100% Amunah in Hashem. I just lost it for one second. I lost it for one second. I did something I shouldn't have done. But then I got it back right away. And he believes 100% what he's saying, that he has 100% Emunah in Hashem, and he lost it for a second. Alvai, we have 50% Emunah. Because once you have any Emunah, you can't lose it. It becomes part of you. If it's real Emunah, it doesn't go away. It's not a headache. It's not milk. It doesn't go bad. You can't have 100% Amunah and you lost it. That doesn't work. So the first one of these attitudes towards learning, it says a person that's olech ve'eno alicha be'yado. A person who goes but does not study. He gets a reward for going. So Rabbi Mendel of Kosk says, why? Why is a person that goes but doesn't learn, get any reward? doesn't make any sense. He went to this shiur, but he's playing with his phone the whole time. Shouldn't he get punished? If I was God, most likely. Thank God I'm not God. 
I mean, that's a dean all the time. Intention to learn. So now Rabotai, he says, Rabbi Mendel of course says, a person who stays home is surrounded by his creatures of comfort. All the things that make him comfortable in life, his pillow, his fridge, his phone, his couch, his fridge again, his couch, fridge, and the couch. Like blenders, we don't stop eating. People don't stop all day. Their whole day is revolved around eating. You wake up, eat. Afternoon, eat. Uh, what are you doing tonight? Eat. What are you doing before you go to sleep? Eat. Eat. Blenders. We've turned into blenders. All life is revolved around eating. What do you want to do? Let's go out to eat. Eat. What did you just do? Eat. All life we're just blenders. We just turn our body into just blenders all day. All day. Eat. Eat. Okay, you do something meaningful with your life. I ate. So he said, a person that can let that food go for a second, leave it home, and go to the bed midrash to learn, already deserves a reward. Because as long as he's home, he has very little chance of achieving any spiritual improvement. He cannot become Baba Sali at your house. Why? You're too comfortable home. You're too comfortable home. This is the case for most people, not everyone though. Some people can't study in the Bet Midrash. Now I know 500 out of 501 people say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Yeah, I'm that guy. 500 out of 501. Yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm the guy that can't get, I, I'm home with the fridge and the couch, but I'm studying though. I'm watching the Shil Torah right now. There's certain exceptions to the case. It's not everyone. Most people want to study, they have to go to a place. If he goes to the study hall, he may at least be able to focus on spiritual activity. The very act of pulling himself away from home is worthy of a reward. Alone, that's enough for Hashem to reward you. Why? It's so difficult for a person to get out of his comfort zone. This also is the same case in everything. For example, working out of home versus working out of an office, it sounds a lot more fun than it really is. And it sounds like it's a lot more productive than it really is. In reality, both of them, 99 out of 100 times, is the opposite. Working in office, you're going to be a lot more productive. Yeah, but I'm spending two hours a day traveling to work. I remember, that was my excuse. I lived in the city. I had my office down the street, so I didn't spend much time traveling. I didn't have that excuse. But I said, yeah, but sometimes, why should I go to the office? It's down the street anyway. If anything happens, I could just go. It's five minutes from my house. I can walk down the street. I could take a taxi. Whatever. It's not a big deal. So let's just stay home. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Why? Because once you're in an office environment, already you're mentally, you're ready to do. Because you realize, why be here if I'm just going to waste time? I'm going to waste time. Let me go home. I got my kids, my wife. Do something, you know, that I enjoy. Yeah, but I like working. Great, you like working. But it's false, by the way. Most people that say they like working, they're liars. I'm serious. Most people that tell you, oh, no, no, do what you love. They're full of it. Because, exactly like he said, people 
love what they're successful at. That's what Torah says. If you're successful at it, you love it. But if you fail at it, it's only a matter of time before you start hating it. Even if you started loving it. Even if you love saving dogs. If those dogs are making you go broke, you're eventually going to hate the dogs and the business of saving them. Whatever it is that you say you love, you only love it because you're successful at it or you see that you can be successful at it. But the minute you realize you're a failure in this business or whatever endeavor you're doing, automatically you start suffering every second you're in it. If you really loved it, you do it for free. So most people are saying, oh, go do, go after your heart, do what you love. They're just misguiding you. It's completely false. Go do what makes you money. If you're already going to work, go do what you're successful at. Once you're successful at it, you'll love it. And if you're not successful, that's the reason why you don't love it. It's not because you don't like the specific job. That's nonsense. He goes, no, no, I hate my job. Oh, really? If I paid you a million dollars to do your job, you like it? Oh, I love my job. It's the best job in the world. What happened? A million ago, you said you hated it. Check. The check changed. The bank account changed. Arosh Yeshiva, one of the Gdoleado, former Gdoleado, says to his students one time that they should begin their married life enrolled in a kolel. Meaning a kolel is a uh, place of study for married people. The, the teachings that you teach people that are married is slightly different than you teach a bachu yeshiva. Once a person is married, there are certain responsibilities that he has in life that the bachu yeshiva did not have. He's no longer just uh, responsible for just himself. He's responsible for other people, not just financially. He's responsible as far as addressing his wife with a certain level of, of love, like he loves himself, according to the Rambam, and respect higher than himself. He has to love her like he loves himself, and he has to respect her more than he respects himself. So... There's certain things that you teach the the Bachurim that are learning that are married differently, but also they're more mature at that time once they get married. They realize that life is not peaches. There are ups and downs. These are certain things that as a teenager you don't usually realize, for the most part, unless you had a very difficult life. Most people don't realize this stuff until they're married. Most people plan to be billionaires and, uh, and successful and they think that they're never going to fail. And the first failure that they have in their life is like a uh, Great Depression. Sure. It's like a Great Depression. They can't sleep at night. They can't function. They don't know what to do. My life is over. What am I going to do? Ah, Life, buddy. Life. Life. Life is a road full of failures that has a destination called success. You need the failures in order to attain the success. It's necessary. Why? You're not going to know what success is until you have failures. Now failure itself can be a certain level of success. But nonetheless, a person that wants to start the journey of a married life, the Rosh Hashiva says, let him start by enrolling in a kolel. So a few ignorant people said to him, wait a minute, hold on a second. First of all, not every person that goes to a kolel is, has even the ability to be a Talmud Chacham. So why even bother going to a kolel? 
But wait, he's just going to come here, warm the chair. He's going to tell you he's going to learn basics. If he's not going to be Rav Ovadia, what's the point of him? If he's not going to be the next Rav Yashiv, if you already know, you see his brain, IQ, three points higher than a monkey. He's not He's not great. He's a regular guy, Baruch Hashem, nice guy, but he's not going to be uh, Rambam. He's lucky if he knows how to go to the bathroom the right way. You're going to make this guy go to Kolel? For what? He's, at best, maybe he's going to become a plumber. Why are you going to make him go to Kolel? For what? It's a waste of money. You're paying this guy this and that. Second thing he says, all these Bachurei Yeshivot, these Yeshivot live off of donations. And they have to pay them. They don't pay them much. In Israel, they usually pay Bachur Yeshiva, maybe 500 bucks a month. Despite if he has three, four, five, six, ten kids, let me get them, it's still the same 500 bucks. Meaning that they have to get the rest of the money to survive through donations. But even the $500 that they pay them, the yeshiva got it through a donation. In America, it's a little high, it's maybe a thousand, but still not enough for anybody to really live. Not here, not in Israel, not anywhere. Few yeshivot in the world pay more than that. There's one I heard about in, uh, in Israel that has, it's funded by a multimillionaire. I forget the name, but... Uh, his mission is to teach Bachurei Yeshivot, similar to what we want to do, but a little different. Teach the guys Bachurei Yeshivot, pay them more money, but have them sign contracts that they're going to go and teach the public for five years minimum. And not just go learn, but also teach. There's a whole program to do it and so on. Anyway, I think it's a brilliant idea. But these people didn't think so much. They're like, hey, listen, these are all donations. So since not all these people are going to become the next Rav Vadya, they're not going to become the next Rav Yashiv. They're not going to be uh, even the shoe of Kanievsky. So what, what's the point? We're taxing the resources from the uh, Jewish community. If everyone joins the Kolel, everyone's going to have to donate to these people. No one's going to work. Everyone's going to pay for it. It's a lot of, uh, it's too much, no? The Rosh Yeshiva responded, he says, of course. Not everyone is going to be a great scholar. But it should be clear that besides the extraordinary value of the Torah that the young man will learn, his kolel stay is justified for other reasons. The standard of Judaism and the philosophical foundation of the home are established in the first years of marriage. Once a person spends those years in the Bet Midrash, He's bound to be affected positively. The kolel is an investment in the future of the entire community. Meaning, he's gonna, once he starts his married life as an avrech, he's going to start learning how to become a good husband, a good father, a decent human being, unselfish. Why? Because now he's forced to not only learn Torah, not only learn Torah, but actually put it into use. Because he has to learn, he has to go home and tell and, and use it. Up to now, the first 18, 20 years of his life, he learned, he learned, he learned. It was all theoretical. For the most part, it's theoretical. Why? They talk to you about Shlombay, they talk to you about uh, business, they talk about, oh, you're not using business, you're not, you don't have a wife to have Shlombay. 
It's all theoretical. Now that you're married, you go, you take those tools, you have to put it into practice. And you come back the next day with your tail between your legs, I failed, I have to do it again. Do over. My wife, my wife, my wife yelled at me, I wasn't expecting it. Usually in theoretical, they don't yell back. You know, it's like people that go to med school. In med school, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're doing a surgery on a, on a, on a piece of plastic, he doesn't die. It's a piece of plastic. And even if he dies, you know, no one gets too nervous. Why? Because it's a piece of plastic. In reality, when the patient dies, you have a problem. You just killed somebody. Being sued is the least of your problems. So, when a person starts a life with Torah, starts a marriage with Torah, Tamidecha Chamim is saying, that's an investment of the community into itself. Why? By investing into this Avrech, you are now going to increase the likelihood that this Avrech is going to be a model citizen. A Talmid Chacham, a person of stature, even if he's not Rav Ovadia and a big famous one, he's just going to be an upstanding citizen according to Halakha, not according to America or Israel. According to Halakha, and that's going to help the community. That's going to have, it's going to pay its dividends in the community itself. And that's why he said that we should start, excuse me, should start by sending them to Kolel's. Almost done for today. Maybe this one's going to be another two shoes. The Midrash Shmuel takes a different approach. Takes a different approach of this person that goes but doesn't learn. Says this is referring to somebody who goes to study on his own but he doesn't encourage other people to do it. It says, he goes, he achieves himself, but he doesn't bring anybody else to the shield. He goes to Kola, but he doesn't tell any of his friends to come. Come learn with me. No, 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 I'll take care of myself. This is what we talked about in the beginning. The selfishness of Am Yisrael today, I think is at historical lows, or highs, whatever you want to consider it. People are so selfish, unfortunately, that they don't realize that we are part of the problem. We ourselves are part of the problem. We always talk about, oh, the sinat chinam, sinat chinam, the way to solve sinat chinam, you know, baseless hatred, is ba'avat chinam, baseless love. You should just love somebody for no reason. First and foremost, we need to define the terms. Before we decide what to do and what not to do, let's define what it means. Sinat chinam, baseless hatred, does not only have a simple meaning that you hate another person because he comes from a certain sect. He's Sephardic, you're Ashkenazi, he's Litvish, you're Hasidish, he has a hat, you don't, he has a beard, you don't, he's, uh, I don't know, he has a kippah sulga, you have a black kippah, all these different nonsensical separation tools. The original Rabbanim did not create these tools to separate themselves from Am Yisrael, but rather to unite him. But unfortunately, that it's causing more separation today than unity. 
even the different types of chasidut sometimes fight among each other. Why? Whose Rebbe is better? Nonsense. This is actually one of the cases that the Gaomi Vilna had against the, against the chasidut. He says they're giving too much kavod to the rabbi. Too much honor to the rabbi to the extent where they forget God. There's something to that. Something to that. It's not shliyot, chas v'shalom. So, unfortunately, when a person is only worrying about his own study, he watches the shiur by himself. His wife is in the kitchen doing nothing, and he's watching the shiur by himself. Why don't you invite her? She's watching the shiur by herself. Her husband's watching sports. Why don't you invite your husband? Nah, he's going to say no. How do you know? He said no yesterday. So how do you know he's going to say no today? Well, because he said no yesterday. So did he ever say no first and then said yes second? Yes. With what? With my dress that I want to buy or the house that I want to buy. Originally he told me no for 10 years. And then he eventually said yes because he got so annoyed. He said yes. I said, okay, so why can't you do the same thing? Why can't you annoy him about learning Torah just like you annoyed him about the washing machine and the fridge and the kitchen remodeling and the house? How come? Because it's not treasure to you. It's not serious to you. It's not your life. Do not pass gold. Do not collect $200. Go back. So now, Rabotai, we have to understand. A person that values his learning, values Torah like it's treasure, like it's his life, must, by default... Get other people to join him or join her. Why? Good, by definition, for you to be good, that means you have to create good. Good does not mean you do good things that are just good for you. That just means you're selfish. People ask the common question, why did God create the world if he's perfect? Because he's good. And good creates good. The only way that someone would, would be defined as good is because they created good. Not because they look good. They didn't create their looks. This also reminds me fantastic halacha. Halacha means it's from Moshe Misinai. It's not your own Uven. Wish it was mine. Wish this one was mine. Oh, this one. See, frog came after me. What is this? That was a surprise. That's all right. Doesn't want me to say this. Alakha. I wish it was mine. No, maybe, maybe. Uh, I wish it was mine. And today they say that shiduch uh, crisis. Shiduch crisis. I say it's midot crisis. People don't know what to look for. They don't know what they want. They want things they can't have. They're too picky. She wants him to be 6 feet 5, 222 pounds, lean, and uh, the, the, brain of, uh, the brain of Moshe Rabbeinu or something. He wants her to be like uh, some uh, woman he saw on TV, Hashem Yachem. Everybody thinks they're gonna they're gonna marry Rabbi Akiva or Sai Menu. The fact that when they look in the mirror they see a little gremlin, they don't they don't count that into the equation. But anyway, Abutai, all joking aside, one of the main things that parents that causes parents to worry 
as if their kids are ugly. I'm serious. Why? It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. So our natural, the scientists, the scientists, are going to tell you that looks are based on the parents. If the parents are uh, supermodels, the kids are going to be little supermodels. But we know from evidence that it's not true. There's plenty of good-looking parents with little Gargamel kids. And plenty of hideous-looking parents, little trolls, with beautiful kids. Plenty. Now, I don't just mean looks. Looks as far as physical features. I also mean looks as far as their personality traits, good midot. You see, like a little tzaddik. He always wants good. He always wants to do good. He's kind. She's kind. Merciful. He's merciful. Nice, little good midot. Parents want that. When a parent sees that the kid doesn't want to share, he pretends like it's not a big deal, but he knows inside us he's suffering. If he's a normal parent, he's suffering inside. Why? He knows this kid is a little evil. Why can't you share? They're sharing with you. Why can't you share? Give them one bigale. Give them one chip. Give them one pretzel. What's the big deal? You have a whole bag. What's the matter with you? You have a bag. You have a thousand bigale. Give them one. You're not going to eat the whole thing. No, I don't want it. The parent said, no, no, he doesn't mean it. He doesn't know you. What do you mean he doesn't know you? He knows him three years. He lived next door with his brother. What happened? Parents are su- Normal parents are suffering. If they're not normal, they're probably worse than the kid. So when a kid has bad midot, it's, it's suffering for the parents. So now, what causes... What leads according to our Torah? Torah misinai, for the kid to be beautiful, both in features, physical features, and also in personality, midot. Now, I would have never guessed this because I would have guessed Tarat Mishpacha. Tarat Mishpacha, family purity, we have places in the Gemara. Well, Rabbi Akiva says he sees a young boy that's chutzpan, that's rude. And he sees him and he says, yeah, one of the Chachamim says, yeah, it's probably because his mom was nida when she had him. The other Chacham says, no, no, it's probably he's a mamzer, it's probably the mom cheated. Rabbi Akiva says, no, it's both. With him, it's both. Like Rabbi Akiva, how do you know? He goes, let's check. Let's check. They go to the wife. Rabbi Akiva says, I promise you. I promise you, you have Olam Abba if you tell me the truth here. Because for Kiddush Hashem. Will you need that? And you cheat on your husband with this kid? She said, yes. So we have sources in the Gemara. It says that family purity has significance in regards to the midot of the person. It doesn't say about looks though. I'm saying something that will affect the looks too. The looks too. Anybody want to guess? The haters are going to hate this one. But it's alakha. They can hate all they want. No?
Plenty of people did that in their kids' little gargoyles. Watching your eyes, you're in the right direction. Okay, there's different things. Fine. Eating garlic? Garlic, no, that's going to get you a divorce. The kids are not going to have a father. What does it say? Halacha is. Halacha is. A man is forbidden. This is Ilichot Iswebea. Rambam. The Halachot of forbidden sexual relations. It says a man is forbidden to engage in relations by the candlelight. Meaning, you're not supposed to be intimate with your wife when it's light. It's supposed to be dark. And the reason why is the Allah says they should never get to a point where you're disgusted by something. You know, certain people have certain things on their skin or uh, anything. Any, anything that's there that happens over time or happened all the time, birthmarks, so on. In Chas Shalom, you don't want to ever be disgusted with each other. So, and also for modesty reasons. We're not the goyim, we're not animals. Now, it doesn't necessarily need to be pitch dark where you can't see each other, but just uh, dark enough. Dark enough. If on Shabbat, he does not have another room and there is light burning, you should not engage in relations at all. Why is it mentioned Shabbat? It says in Shabbat, it's a mitzvah, it's a special mitzvah to be intimate on Shabbat. But if the only room you have in your house has light, it's better off not to fulfill this mitzvah. Such is the stringency of not being intimate when there's light. Why? What's all this about? What's all this about? Since it's forbidden for a Jew to engage in relations during the day. Why? For this is a brazen conduct. Azut panim. If he is a Torah scholar who will not be drawn to continue such conduct, he may create darkness with his garment and engage in relations. One should not, however, adopt this measure unless he is in great need. In the course of holy conduct to engage in relations in the middle of the night. That's where you're supposed to do. Now, this most of us will think this has to do with the modesty of the woman. But that's where we're wrong. It also has to do with the modesty of the man. Why? In this next halacha after it, two halachos after it, it says... Our sages forbid the, a man from engaging in relations with his wife while his heart is focused on another woman. He should not engage in relations while intoxicated, nor while quarreling, can't have be intimate when they're after a fight, nor out of hatred. He should not engage in relations when, her, when it's against her will, when she's afraid of him, nor when one of them is placed under the ban of ostracism. He should not engage in relations with his wife after he made decision to divorce her. If he does so, the children will not be of proper character. They will be those who are brazen and others who are rebellious and sinful. 
So here we see that already there's a few things that cause a person to have kids that have a uh, that, that are the opposite of what he wants. Opposite of what he wants. But if you continue and fast forward, you'll see that it says a person, a man has to be modest even in the bathroom. Even in the bathroom. Why? Because the modesty of the man, the modesty of the man, if he's modest, specifically during the times of intimacy with his wife, is what is going to give the blessing for the kids to have good character and to be beautiful. It's not the modesty of the woman. Modesty of the woman, of course, it's kalvachomel. But that's just to have the kids. Result, there should be a blessing. But if you want them to have good character, you want them to uh, you want them to have to be good looking and so on. Stop acting like uh, you're shemirachem uh, what you are. Stop thinking that you're in some movie or something. Modesty of the man applies even at the times that you're in the bathroom. We're not allowed to act like animals at any times. Yes, of course, Allah says, you're allowed to be with your wife in any way that you want. Yes. But you may have little Gargamel kids. If you're modest, and you realize that this is a mitzvah too, you don't have a filthy mouth, you don't have filthy thoughts, you're thinking about her, and not some woman you saw in the street. Constantly clean, make sure you have a clean mind. You have to have a clean mind. Why do you have to have a clean mind? Because the Avot de Rabbi Natan, chapter 20, first Avot, first Mishnah, says, first Pirush, says that this mind control, this clean mind, is not a matter of willpower. It's not just a matter of willpower. It's actually directing the attention of your mind from whatever filth is a possible choice to Torah. It's forcing your mind to think about something holy. Because the Torah is what awakens the influence which prevent a person's attention from focusing on things that are inappropriate. In this, the Gemara says, they asked one of the wives of the Chachamim in the Gemara. They asked, how did you merit to have every single one of your kids is beautiful? Every one of your kids is beautiful. How? She says, because my husband acted modestly and not boldly even during the times of, of intimacy. My husband was modest even during that time. Why? Because the what he has in his mind and how he behaves with his body has special significance in Hashem and in Shemaim to such an extent that the Sfarim HaKadoshim, I saw it, 
Sfarim HaKadoshim say that it actually has that specific, that specific seed, if you will. That specific seed, Hashem blesses it. And that's why in the book of Jeremiah, Hashem says to Jeremiah, even before you came to the world, I knew you. He says, even before you came to the world, I knew you. What do you mean you knew him before he came to the world? Yes, I knew you because your parents, Jeremiah, were modest. When? I knew you as the seed. I knew you, and I knew you're going to be tzaddik. Why? Parents were modest. So that's the key. Rabotai is when a person thinks that he can act like the movies. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if problems happen after. And that's why I tell people to be modest. It's not just all oh, your chassid because of it. It's not all. Oh, it's just nice. You look better. Modesty has so many benefits for marriage, for life, for connection to Hashem, for children, and so on. And that's why a lot of the times you see that usually the problem kids in the shul, many of the times, is because the parents are not modest. And it has nothing to do with how they, how they dress. Sometimes they dress uh, black and white, but the kids are little uh, trolls. Why? comes out of the parents' mouth, it's not modest. What comes out of the parents' mind is not modest. Modesty is, a, is, is something that's Kol kulo, it's, your, it's all of you. And the only way you could actually achieve it is through learning an enormous amount of Torah and applying it and making sure that you have this midah, you have, you're, you're working on it. Yeah. I Ken, you heard it from me, it was in the Gemara, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai says, a person that thinks about another woman while he's intimate with his wife, there's a safek if in Shemaim they consider that kid mamzer. Halacha is not like that. They don't judge halacha like it. But they said that some people consider it mamzer. Needless to say, it's disgusting and inappropriate to think about anybody else other than uh, your wife, regardless of whether you're intimate or not. But that's what distinguishes a person that's kadosh, that's holy, versus a person that's tameh. A lot of the times when people ask questions, Baruch Hashem, I have a lot of interesting questions from people. And sometimes people ask questions about intimacy between a husband and wife, and so on. And I'm happy that people have the, uh, you know, the uh, comfort to ask me openly questions that are important to them. But sometimes you start seeing that it's not just a basic question: when, who, how. When, they don't ask the basic. Sometimes you start seeing that from the question, there's something wrong with the person. From the question itself. Why? If a person says, when am I allowed to be with my wife or with my husband and so on, fine. If it says, when uh, you know, am I allowed to do certain things, fine. But if you see that that's the only thing they ask about all the time, and they start asking questions that make it start seeming like this is an adventurous life, you start realizing there's something wrong with, with usually the husband. Usually the husband is tameh, sees too many things on the internet and he wants his wife to be like the woman he saw on the internet. He is, is, his mind is full of filth and he's, uh, putting, he's making sure that his wife suffers because of it. And then people wonder why such bad things happen. So, watching your eyes, watching your breath, watching your modesty, it's not just something you could just wake up and do one, two, three. It's a lifestyle. It's a life. It's only if you value the Torah learning, 
like it's treasure, like it's your life, like it's serious. So, when a person is going to be generous with his Torah, he's going to teach people. He's going to teach people what he knows, even if it makes him uncomfortable. Mainly, takes a different approach. He says a person that goes, but doesn't learn, he interprets it as a person that goes and leaves his home to study for a better teacher. But he still doesn't succeed. Rabbi Noah in the uh, Mishnah, we actually learned it, says, exile yourself to a place of Torah, even if he does not achieve exceptional success in his studies, he still receives a great reward. He says a person sometimes makes the sacrifice, leaves home to go to a good yeshiva in Israel, good yeshiva in uh, Lakewood, good yeshiva in Muncie, or different places. He goes, leaves his home to get a good yeshiva. Thank you. But he still goes and uh, he didn't become something special. He says he still gets a reward. Why? He did something that's critical for Torah. What? Mesirut Nefesh. Mesirut Nefesh, that's the self-sacrifice. He got the reward. He got the reward. If he continues, eventually he'll be at Tamilcham. Rabbeinu Yonah has another idea. And I relate to this one a lot in the sense that I see a lot of it. Is a person that's spiritually lazy. How so? Is a person that he's only going to perform the mitzvah if it's a layup, if it's right there. If it's right there, he'll do it. If it's not right there, nah, it's too far. Sure, it's too far. I'm not going. What is it? An hour from here? Nah, come on, you want me to travel an hour for Shul? Nah, no, I'll go. I'll go to the one that's in my house and on my bed. I'll watch from YouTube. Well, a guy says, no, no, come on, going to the Knesset is too far. What's too far? That's ah, a 15-minute walk. Okay, so what are you going to do? I'll pray it home. I'll pray it home. Lotov. Lotov. Why? You're not supposed to look for layups. You're not, look, you're not supposed to look for easy mitzvot. By the way, this is actually part of the reason why growing a beard, in my opinion, if I was like anything special, I would tell people you're not allowed to. At least until you're religious for minimum five years. Minimum religious five years. You learn Torah every day five years, then you get allowed to grow a beard. Why? Because most people fulfill this mitzvah right away. It's not even a mitzvah, it's chasidut. But they don't realize this. They think that to be religious, you have to have a beard. So you see a lot of people with beards and kippah, but they still amaret, still don't know anything. They look like a rabbi. They look better than the rabbi, and uh, the guy doesn't know Aleph Bet yet. The guy doesn't know how to keep Shabbat yet. So, he goes to clubs. He goes does all these different things. Problem is, this Chilul Hashem now. It's Chilul Hashem. So we're not supposed to look for mitzvot that are layups. Not supposed to look for it. Now, Tiferet Yisrael takes it a different, my favorite one. 
What does he say? He says a person who goes to a Musar Shiur, goes to a Shiur about ethics. That's in a study hall and a Bet Midrash, outside of his house, in the hopes of improving his spiritual quality of life. He says that even if his evil inclination, even if the Yetzirah still subverts his efforts, still he still fails, he still ends up wasting seed again, he still ends up making sins, he still ends up uh, you know, yelling at his wife and having, being cheap and stingy and so on, still he's, he's, the Yetzirah is going after him. Eventually, He's promised that if he continues going to the shiurim, it's eventually the way he learns in a musar shiur, it's going to become internalized, it's going to be the yetzerah. Why? That's the schal. That's the reward. That's the reward. You keep going, eventually you're going to be okay. Eventually you're going to be okay. So this, Rabotai, we see the value of musar shiur takes a different, uh, different, uh, Precedent in comparison to other types of shiurs. All shiurim are important. Allah shiurs, Allah shiurs, Parashat Shavua shiur. All the shiurs are important, but apparently, this is the only thing I only found about this specific thing is a Musar shiur. Why? Because the Gaon Mivina says, Midot zekol adam. Fixing your midot, fixing your character traits, improving yourself as a human being according to the definition of a good human being for God. That's your purpose in life. The next one is Osevenolechamas Biado. It's a person who studies at home but doesn't go, doesn't attend the shiur. He gets the reward for his accomplishment. Why? He doesn't go to Kolel. He doesn't go to Yeshiva. He doesn't go to Yeshiva. But he studies at home though. He still gets the reward. Why? It's a person that learns at home. So he's rewarded for actually learning. But what is he missing out on? He's missing out on the mitzvah of attending the study hall. What kind of mitzvah is there in attending the study hall? Zikwe Rabbi. Why? If you have a shiur with just five, six, seven, eight, nine people, it's nice. It's like, oh, it's good. Each one of you is part of the shiur. It's the Atlantic for the speaker to say certain things that will affect your neshama. It's good. But the power of a shiur, when there's 500 people, different world. Different world. Now, most people that do kiruv, say that they like smaller crowds than bigger crowds because it's easier to impact smaller crowds. It's easier to see the impact on smaller crowds. But, but, if you give them the choice, 1,000 people or 30 people, still take 1,000. Why? Zikuya Rabim. Rabim means many. Because there's a special merit to the unity of many. 
So a person that goes, he doesn't go, but he actually still studies. Rashi and Rav say, oh, this is good. Why? Because he's still going to get a reward for his studying. Now, Rabbeinu Yonah and Tiferet Yisrael say that this is referring to somebody who fulfills the commandments, but he's not interested in deepening his religious commitment any further. He's like on neutral. He learned what he learned for the first 20 years of his life, 30 years of his life, and that's it. He doesn't want to go double check what he got from the conclusion that he learned. He doesn't want to double check himself. He doesn't want to have a rabbi. It's like, whatever, I know enough. I'm fine. I'm good. I was religious my whole life. Okay, well, that's fine. Part of being religious is having a rabbi. Yeah, my rabbi died. When? 15 years ago. Okay, so what did you do for the last 15 years? Uh, myself. On my own. I know enough. I know enough. Well, if you know enough, you would know that the Gemara says that in Masechet Yevamot, page 109b, that a person that does not have a rabbi and confidently is, is relying on himself, on his own knowledge, is despised by God. As it says, Proverbs, Shlomo Melech tells us, Proverbs 11.15, the hater of handshakes is secure. Secure meaning, Hashem hates him. Why? He's secure in his own opinion. He doesn't want to double check with Chachamim. What's the truth? He thinks he knows. He's his own rabbi. He's his own rabbi. Shem says he can learn his, he could be his whole life a mechalel Shabbat and never change. Even if he learns every day, never change. Why? He never double checks himself. Exactly. So Rabbeinu Yonah says that this person is very dangerous. The first one that goes but doesn't learn, they didn't say he was dangerous. Say it's not good. You're not using your full potential. This one over here who doesn't go, he's in dangerous position. Doesn't go to Shiyu, dangerous. Doesn't go to Yeshiva, dangerous. Why? I study at home, dangerous. Why? It cannot be just studying at home. You must study in a Shiyu. You must have a rabbi. You have to have a chavuta. You have to have other things. Why? Someone has to check you. Other than yourself. And don't tell me it's your wife. Don't tell me it's your husband. Don't tell me you are checking with Rashi. Maybe you're misunderstanding Rashi. Maybe you're misunderstanding Rambam. Who says you're right about your understanding of what it says? And this I see very, very common in people that were from from birth, went to yeshiva, and then at some later point, they started going into the regular world and started becoming more and more modern. And many of them, are surprised at the shiurim. I remember a few years ago already, I got some people that were religious from birth, and it was surprising to me that they would even spend a minute listening to my shiurim. And I asked a few of them, why were you listening to my shiurim? Like, I'm a relatively new Baal Tshuva. I don't really know that much. You're religious for 25 years. You're religious for 50 years. Why are you watching my shiur? He says, I never learned this stuff. What do you mean? I'm teaching Pastor Shavua. I'm teaching uh, basics. He goes, I, never, I don't know this stuff. 
What, you know, Apostle Shavu? He goes, yeah, I heard the story. But what you're saying, I never heard. Why you never heard it? Why you never heard it? You know why? Because his learning stopped at 20 years old. 18 years old. When he finished yeshiva, every day he was going to yeshiva. From the minute he was born, pretty much. So he went to school, three, four, five, six, seven years old. Went to school, yeshiva. Learned chumas for the first few years. Learned about Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron. Finished. Not even so much about David and Shlomo. Not even so much about the prophets, because we don't usually learn that. You, learn, you want to learn it, you want to learn it at home. Start learning Gemara. But then, do, 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 fast forward, finished Yeshiva, it's, let's say 17, 18 years old, and then went, got a job, or went to the regular world, and so on. And learning now became something that you do as like, you know, part of the day, you learn a little bit between Minchai and Arvit, you learn a little bit uh, uh, two before they say Alim Shabbach in the morning in the prayer. You learn a little bit maybe once once a week you go to Shiur for a half hour, an hour. You learn a little bit on Shabbat or Sudash Lishi. You know, meaning learning is like it's part of life. Something you do, but it's more like a hobby. More like a hobby. It's not like uh, your life. It's not like a uh, treasure. It's not like uh, everything. Not serious. Like it was in Yeshiva. So what happened? You have the understanding of Moshe, Aaron, David, Shlomo, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Hashem, Barach, Parashat Shavua. You have the understanding of a nine-year-old. Because when you learned it, you were nine. And you haven't learned it in 30 years. So when I, the new Baal Juva, or anybody else is teaching it, and he's almost 40 years old, and I learned it now at 40, of course it's going to be better than what you learned. But it's not because of me. Don't give me any kavod, don't give me any schut. I don't want any problems. It's because the last time you learned was 30 years ago, when you were nine. The brain in the Shema of a nine-year-old can only understand a nine-year-old understanding. That's why Hashem Barach only gave us a single Torah. He didn't give us, this is the Torah for the nine-year-old. This is the Torah from nine to twelve. This is the Torah from twelve to fifteen. This is the Torah from fifteen to twenty. This is the Torah when you're married. This is the Torah when you're divorced. He didn't give us the, it's not a, it's not a supermarket. It's the same Torah. Everybody. You teach about what happened to Noah when the whole world was destroyed because they were all Rashaim to the six-year-old. To the six-year-old, you teach him, everyone was Rashaim and killed all of them. Bimitaba. Yes! Yes, he killed all of them. Why, Abba? They were Rashaim. No, but isn't that going to scare the six-year-old? Good. It's going to have Yerat Shamaim. It's going to have Yerat Shamaim. What is he going to be scared of God if he doesn't know Hashem kills? Yeah, but isn't it graphic? Hashem thought about that. Hashem thought about that and he's only going to allow his little neshama, his little, little mind, his little heart absorb what he can absorb. If you teach him again, Parashat Noach, when he's 12, same Parashat, same Midrash, same commentary, all of a sudden it's different. Wow. Be'emet He killed them? Yes. 
You teach him again. At 19 years old. Same person with Noah. What happened, Abba? He killed all of them. He killed them. He killed them. Why? Lashaim. After Tshuva. After Tshuva. But you taught him the same thing three times. What happened? The Neshama grows. The Torah doesn't change. Stop trying to buy these little books. No, no, my kid can't learn Chumash. Why not? He's only 10 years old. It's too graphic. Oh, you think that the God of Israel didn't think about that? You think you're smarter than Hashem? So Rabotai Yekarim, when a person stops learning the weekly parasha when he's young and then he hears it again when he's 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old and he's surprised, it's not because of the teacher. It's because of the neglect. Neglect of learning and it's time for us to do tshuva and start learning now. I don't care if you've been learning it for 50 years. At year 51... As God is my word, you'll see, you'll have a different understanding than the first 50 years. It'll never, it's just, it's, it'll never be the same again. Why? You learn it at 51, first 50 years as if they didn't exist. Your brain, your neshama is different. That's why the Chachamim say, you learn the Gemara 101 times is nothing like you learned it 100 times. Rav Zev he tells my father, they learn Daf Yomi every day. Or maybe more even than Daf Yomi, Baruch Hashem. They learn every day. They're in Masechet Bachot, they're almost finishing Masechet Bachot, I think right now, or Bechorot, not sure. Anyway, he, my father says to him the other day, he says, oh, listen, it's good, we, you know, it's good, I have to remember it. He goes, what? He goes, until you learn it a hundred times, you don't know anything. A hundred times you have to learn it? Until you learn it a hundred times, you don't know anything. Meaning the understanding that you have the first time, second time, third time, fourth time, fifteen times, a thousand times. I mean, all it changes constantly. And if you compare a hundred to a hundred and one, it's as if the hundred didn't exist. Such is the difference between a talmid, the neshama. Same thing with parashat shavuot. Same thing with the entire Torah. So. A person that decides that he's going to teach himself is putting himself in a very, very dangerous predicament. He's betting on the fact that he can continuously teach himself like he's supposed to understand and he's always going to understand and he's always going to be right and he's always going to know. And unfortunately, this doesn't work out so well. Even the Gdolei Adol, send their children to learn from different Gdolado many times. You'll see it. You'll see many times throughout history. You see a person that was a giant, had a son. Instead of teaching his own son, he sent his son somewhere else at some point. And many times. Not all the time. Many times they sent him to somebody else that was also Gdolado. Why? He knew over there he's going to learn better. Here he's too comfortable. You want to succeed, you can't be comfortable. Last but not least, and then we'll finish... The Hasid Yavitz says different approach. Different approach. He says sometimes there's people that learn. Sometimes sometimes there's people that finance the learner. They 
somebody has to pay. You guys learning all day. He still has a house, still has kids, still has to eat. We're not in the desert. Hashem is not sending us man. There's no uh, seven clouds lifting us. Barely seven walls. So you need money. The Hasid Yavid says that sometimes a person that cannot study a lot for himself can be rewarded by funding another person's studies. He himself doesn't go. Meaning he himself doesn't go to the kolel. But he does it on his own. He still gets a reward. Why? Because he funds the guy that goes to kolel. But then the Hasid Yavid says, this is a person that's okay, he's funding. But our goal is not to be that guy. What's our goal? Our goal is to be Hasid. What's a Hasid? Hasid is a person, the Yavid says, that not only he funds the person that goes, but he also learns himself. Not only he funds the guy, he has money, he, has, he makes a living, he has a job, he's a lawyer, he's a doctor, he's an insurance salesman, whatever he is, he makes a living. He doesn't spend his extra money on shtuyot, on nonsense. What does he do? He spends it on nishamot. Yeah, go. Learn this month. You'll have an extra 500 bucks. have a thousand. Why? Because I want a piece of your Torah. I want to be partners with you. Yeah, but you learn too. What do you need me? Fund yourself. No, no, no. My business is my business. I'm learning because I have to. I'm giving because I want to. So Hasid Rabotai is unlike the first two. This one doesn't talk about reward at all. This is Olech Ve'oseh Hasid. One who goes and studies is pious. He doesn't say he goes and he gets a reward. Or he doesn't go and he doesn't get an award. He doesn't even talk about a reward. Why? Because what's Midat Hasidut? What's a real Hasid? A Hasid is someone that does Retzon Hashem, the will of Hashem, just because. No reward. No reward. Why? It makes Hashem happy. That's it. That's what made the Baal Shem Tov the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov, Allah Shalom, said, if I go up to Shemayim, they tell me, oh, you go to Genom. I'm going to ask him, is that what Hashem wants? Yes, I'm running there. What do you mean? It's Genom, it's fire. Yeah, but it's me. It's Hashem wants me to go. If that's going to make Hashem happy for me to go to Gainom, I'm running there. That's Midat Chasidut. Midat Chasidut is you do it simply because it makes Hashem happy. Not because it makes your wife happy. Not because it makes you happy. Not because it makes your banker happy or your stockbroker happy. Because it makes Hashem happy. Obviously, happy is figuratively speaking. Hashem doesn't have happiness. The Slonimi Rebbe, Rabbi Shlomo, says that a truly, a, a real chassid has no interest whatsoever in reward for his actions. He doesn't do anything for reward. He expects nothing 
and is simply elevated by the opportunity to serve God. The greatest reward for a chassid is the privilege of being a chassid. So no mention of reward is even necessary for this Mishnah, if you want to be chassid. Now sometimes a person thinks he's a chassid. He goes to study. But the Chafetz Chaim says, it's better off he doesn't go. Don't be chassid. Don't do us any favors. Don't go. Don't go to Shiu. Don't go to Kola. Don't go. Don't go. Please, don't go. It's better for you not to go. How could it be? How can it be? The Chafetz Chaim, Kodesh Kodeshim, says don't go. How can it be? Chafetz Chaim says, sometimes, when a person goes to a shiul, it's actually a sin. Again, Chafetz Chaim, same. Sometimes, a person goes to a shiul, but it's a sin. Why it's a sin? Mitzvah, no, he learns Torah. He just told me, I went, I didn't study, and, and, and I got schal just for going. I didn't go, and I got schal. What happened? New Torah? What's going on? He says, sometimes these reshaim, the Chafetz talks about, sometimes there's a special type of rasha who goes, why? To go look for mistakes that the rabbi is making. He doesn't go to learn. He goes to see what the, what the rabbis say, just to go make fun of him after. Ah! This rabbi doesn't know what he's talking about. What an idiot. What an idiot. An idiot. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Ah! Ah! That's so better than him. He doesn't know how to talk. He bumbles. He jumbles. He doesn't rhyme. He's not Buster Rhymes. He's wasting my time. Make fun of him. If it was this other Rebbe, guys, then ah, I would go to the shul. But this guy, ah. so why do you keep coming? Why do you keep coming? Chavetz Chaim says it's a sin. Why? You've turned your mitzvah into an avera. Why? Because now you are machtia rabim. Now you're going to lead other people to not want to go. Why? Because people only want to go where everybody else wants to go. Now if all of a sudden there's a little uh, atomic bomb here, and he starts telling people, nah, this guy's no good. Ah, he's an idiot. Ah, he's a this. Ah, he's a that. Everybody's like, yeah, maybe he's right. He looks more religious than us. He knows more than us, so maybe we should listen to him not to go to this Rebbe. We should go, we should go play basketball instead. He'll be a Rebbe. He'll be a Rebbe. This usually is a result of jealousy. But sometimes just pure evil. Jealousy is evil, but nonetheless, not all the time. Sometimes just people are clueless. So a person, the Chafetz Chaim says, sometimes will go to Shiur and accuse the person of hypocrisy. Or accuse him that he's only doing it for money. Or he's just looking for a reason to, to make him uh, flawed. Something, something is wrong with him. Every little slip. Ah, see, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Why? 
Look, he said that word. He said that one thing. Okay, he spoke for three hours. He made one word mistake, two words mistake. Go speak for three hours. Go speak for three hours. See if you make a mistake. Go speak for three minutes. I'm serious. What do you think? It's easy. You think if Hashem didn't give me 1,000% of every single word that I'm saying to you, I would be able to speak even? People say, oh, a good speaker. What good speaker? I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't know how to speak. Hashem does the whole thing. I'm just here to make it look realistic. Rabotai. A person goes to Yeshua and says, no, he doesn't know, he doesn't know, he doesn't know. He makhtiya rabim. He causes other people to sin. He looks and he starts, oh no, he's only doing it for money. I'm not collecting any money. No, nah, no, nah, you probably get donations. There's one person who watches my shirim all the time just to find mistakes. I, what she do? Oh, it's money. It's this. It's, oh, so why do you watch the shoe? Why do you watch the shoe? Why? If you can't stand me, why do you watch the shoe? Because people, people are much, people are sick. They're sick. It's a sin. So now, Rabotai, Rabotai, a person can get to such an extent that he's looking to scrutinize the motives of the speaker, of the rabbi, just to find a mistake. So the visit to the Bet Midrash can often be a spiritual calamity. And that's why the Mishnah says the Chafetz Chaim. If you're going to go to the Midrash, Bet Midrash, be a Chassid and study. Because if you're not going to study, you're definitely going to sin. You're definitely going to sin. Either you're going to chit-chat and disturb us you, or you're going to be one of those jokers, the Gemara in, uh, I think it's Avodah Zarah, Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkino says, a person that's a jokester in the middle of the Shi'ut Torah, alech wo. Why? He says the beginning of his punishment is suffering. Someone goes to the Shi'ut Torah just to make jokes. Even if he didn't come to the Shi'ut Torah to make jokes. But it happened to be that he's a jokester. Comes to the Shi'ut Torah, makes jokes. He says just the beginning of his punishment is suffering. The beginning is suffering. He ruins the whole shoe. So, if you're going to go to a shoe, Chafetz Chaim says, go study. Go study. Last but not least, we're going to just finish this Mishnah, even though it's late, we're just going to finish it. It says, One who doesn't go and doesn't study. He's a Rasha. Why? Why is a Rasha? When it comes to the Hasid Yavitz, he says, when it comes to money, this person, not only he doesn't learn himself, but also he doesn't donate. He's a Rasha. He's purposeless life. The guy's purposeless life. He comes to the world, he decides to be a cow, to work all day, all night. Okay, fine, do something with the money. Other than buying your own house and your own car and your own food and eat like a cow and act like a cow, do something with the money. Support Torah. Support mitzvot. No, no, no. Let them go to work. Don't you realize that Hashem only allows the world to exist for them? Not for you? It's logical also. What is it? He gave you Torah. He says, I am God. Here's Torah. I'm God. Okay, what's in the Torah? Learn it. Okay. 
You're not learning it. So you think he created the world for you that's not learning it? You think he's allowing the world to continue for you that's not learning it? Obviously it's for the guy that's learning it. Obviously it's for the guy that's, that's fulfilling it. So at least support it. Don't be just an ox. Do something with your money. Other than the vacations. So, when it comes to that, when it comes to a person who doesn't learn, and doesn't study, and doesn't support it, mashallah. Another hand, Tiferet Israel says, a wicked person doesn't even try to advance himself spiritually. Not at the kolel, and not at home. That's why he's a rasha. Why? There's no way for him to become a tzaddik. He's not going to know what Hashem wants. And therefore he's not going to do what Hashem wants. By default he's a rasha. So talk lashonara, he's going to violate Shabbat, he's going to be a uh, half a human being. Mikveh Israel says, Actually, what the Yavit said, which is to support the house of study. But they say that there's a special tzaddik once that understood what real Midat Hasidut was. So when he sent his son to Kolel, Instead of having the kolel pay the kid, he paid the kolel. So his son asked him, people asked him, why are you paying the kolel? He's learning. It's, it's normal for, for them to pay the, the person that's learning. If you want to give any extra money, give it to your son. Why are you giving it to the kolel? Give it to your son. He says, do we pay for electric? Yes. Costs money, right? Do we pay for food? Yes. Why? It costs money, right? We pay for water? Yeah, it costs money. Building? Yeah, it costs money. Everything costs money. So why is it my kid's future? And Ami says future is free. Why is it free? Why am I not going to support it? Why am I not going to invest in it? Especially if you have the ability. If you're poor, you have no food to eat at home. It's a different story. But you have the ability just pretending to be poor when it's convenient for you. When you're looking for financial aid because you're cheap. That's stealing. That's gezel. So a person that not only doesn't learn, but also doesn't support, and just wants to uh, only the good parts of the community. When his wife uh, gives birth, he wants everybody to buy, uh, buy food for her. But uh, when it's time for him to do the same thing, reciprocate, he's always uh, on a trip. He's always away. It's a rasha, selfish person. But the, the Mikveh Israel says that the entire Mishnah can be explained simply. One who goes to the study hall and learns but gives nothing towards it, as far as money, is rewarded for learning. On the other hand, one who helps finance the operating cost of the Bet Midrash, but is unable to learn himself, at least is rewarded for his support. And then, one who is both studies and contributes. That's the Hasid. He contributes monetarily and he also learns. He gets full reward. He's truly righteous. And lastly, one who ignores both 
his own spiritual needs and the spiritual needs of the community, that is a person that's thoroughly wicked. Like a real rasha. And the Musar Avot explains that this Mishnah outlines the relationship between talent and effort. Similar to the Mishnah we talked about recently. But he says if one is olech, moves, moves upwards, he achieves excellence. If he's oseh, then it's, that's oseh is in regard, referring to his great talent. So if he's only achieving because of his great talent, he's rewarded for his achievement. But it's because of his talent, it's not as great a reward. If he expends great energy, but he's limited in his achievement because he doesn't have a lot of talent, still he gets rewarded. But the best case scenario is if he doesn't have the talent, but his hard work still allows him to become a Talmud Chacham, still allows him to overcome all of these bad things that he started the, the, the journey with, that's a real righteous person. That's how you can become the Rambam. You start with a brain that's not such a big deal, but you overcome all those things and Hashem gives Chokhmah. Hashem will eventually give you that Chokhmah as an actual reward. As an actual reward. So you see, Rabotai, the amazing thing about the Torah is that it's endless. Endless. There's many, many other things we could talk about, but we're out of time. We've covered a lot of other things, that some things that I planned, some things that I definitely didn't plan. Most of it I didn't plan, Baruch Hashem. But apparently you needed to hear. Uh, there's many other things we're going to talk about next week, but at least we finished all Mishnah, Baruch Hashem. Any questions? Same price. Well, I mean, if, if he goes to Kolel for only five years and then stops studying, then whatever he studies will eventually go away anyway. Studying never stops. If the difference is that if he goes and he studies intensely for five years, and then after that he goes back and he starts working and going to the real world, but he continues to study, just not full time. He still studies a few hours a day, still studies in the morning, still studies at night, then that's a brilliant idea because he'll have a good foundation and he could continue building on it because he already is, is, he's, he's uh, developed good study habits during that five years that after he's no longer in a colo full-time, at least he's going to use the few hours he has a day to actually learn. He's going to actually learn and not just waste time and uh, look at uh, ducks crossing the street on YouTube. Now, on the other hand, if a person doesn't go to kolel, does not mean that he cannot become a Talmud Chacham. It just means that he has to work extra hard to develop these uh, these skills. There are certain people that they can only study with a Chavuta. They can only study with a bunch of people, or at least one person, one-on-one. -on -one. And then there are certain people that prefer not. Because it all depends. A Chavuta is more difficult than finding a marriage. A good Chavuta is more difficult than finding a marriage. I see a lot of times people say, oh, you want to study Chavuta? Study Chavuta? I say, no, all the time. 
Number one, it's because I already have one. It's Rabbi Ephraim. Number two, I don't have much time, which means that if I actually have any time to study more, I'm going to study more with him, not with whoever the person is. Number three, I know that most people are not going to be good chavutas for me. I know myself, I know my limitations, and I know that most people are just are not going to think in that same wavelength, or they're not going to, you know, and they're just going to go a certain way that I'm not interested in. I tried it. I tried it a couple of times. I remember one time, I uh, early on, there was a, a, a Bahu Yeshiva came to Boca Raton uh, right after we moved there. And uh, they had this whole program to Bahu'i Yeshiva from New York or from different places come to Boca Raton every year. And different people can uh, study with them. So I said, you know what? I always wanted to see how these Bahu'i Yeshiva actually learn because I never went to Yeshiva. So I wanted to see how, how they learn. So I went there and I regretted the day I was born. Not because Hashem there was anything wrong with him. Sadiq, cute, cute little kid. But his studying method for me was a complete waste of time. Why? Because he was young still. So he still had the understanding that you need to know Aramaic in order to learn Gemara, which is wrong. It's nice to know Aramaic, but you don't need to know it. When it comes to the Sefer Torah, when it comes to the Chumash, you should learn Sfat HaKodesh over time in order to really get the deep meanings of some of the words. But nonetheless, you need to understand what it says mostly. But it's important to read the Sefer Torah in appropriate and, and write in Hebrew. But if you don't, you still can learn it. It's just, it just won't have as much of a meaning. But when it comes to Gemara or Shuchan Aruch, there's absolutely no reason for you to kill yourself learning the language, learning the other languages, just before you learn Gemara. First learn the Gemara. Why? First learn what to do. First learn how to be a Jew. First learn how to do the mitzvot. Then you can learn Hebrew and, all, and Aramaic and whatever other language you want to learn. Enjoy it. Problem is that the, the certain systems of learning where people that the way they learn in Yeshivot is because they have a lot of time. They're going to be there for the next 15 years. So the way they teach them is like, listen, first learn Aramaic. Good. Why? He's six years old. He's seven years old. He's ten years old. We have all day with him, all night with him for the next ten years. So they'll take the time and it's okay for them to delay the learning of the Gemara and, 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 and the Psukim and so on and focus on the language first. Why? Because number one, it's easy to teach a language a younger person. And number two, they have more time with him. But if somebody's about Tshuva, if somebody is brand new, if somebody is uh, not uh, a Talmud Yeshiva, for you to take your first shiur with him and teach him Gemara, to teach him uh, uh, Aramaic is a mistake. Why? He's not going to see you often enough to learn the rest of it. Which means that that hour you have with him, two hours you have, whatever time you have with him, it's a complete waste of time. So what ended up happening is I learned with him for an hour and one word in Aramaic. We wanted to learn the root of the word. So we learned one, literally one word in an hour. I went home and I wanted to like quit. I wanted to, I just didn't want to learn anymore. I was like, well, it was really like, I said, if this is what it is, I went to my rabbi, I was like, I, I can't do it. I'm giving up. I can't. I, I thought like, I, could, I can't, I can't learn like this. My rabbi was like, oh, man, I, that's why I actually didn't want you to go, but I didn't say it because I knew you wanted to try it, but I was afraid this was going to happen because there is the yeshiva system that, has an approach 
that they teach adults like they teach kids, which is wrong. If it's a child, you have all the time in the world with him. He's going to go to school every single day for the next 10 years. Teach him Aramaic. Teach him uh, Hebrew. Teach him the language. No problem, because you're going to see him every day. And you can take your time. But if it's a person that's only going to come and commit an hour a week, or even an hour a day, to learning, and you're going to spend that time teaching him a second language, you're completely wasting your time, and most likely you will discourage him from actually continuing to learn, because it's not usually, it's usually not that interesting anyway. So it's not as rewarding, you don't get the, the, uh, the same schar and shamayim, you don't get the same good feeling in your heart that you learn another word, or another five words, or a thousand words, who cares? Okay, so I know how, how to say the Rabbi Akiva, everything that the merciful one does, does, it's always the best. I know how to say it in Aramaic. Does that make me better or not? Does it make me believe it? No. Just knows. I know how to say it in Aramaic. Big deal. What's a big deal? Believe what it says. Believe that everything is for the good. So that's the thing. That's, that, that's unfortunately a result of inexperience. And, and, and uh, you know, it is what it is. But the point is, Rabotai, is that um, learning in yeshiva, learning in a kolel, if you have the ability to do it, you should definitely do it. If you have, you know, at least a year, two years to take, or even if you have a month or two, to just go intensive study, do it. Take a chance, go at it. Why not? You have nothing to lose. Uh, but uh, is it a prerequisite in order for you to be a tzaddik or a talmit hacham? No. What is a prerequisite? The requisite is, number one, for you to take Torah seriously, number two, for you to treat it like a treasure, and three, to make it your life. Those are the three requisites. Obviously, there's other things, but this is in brief. In brief. Beset the Bezat Hashem will continue next week. Unless you guys have critical questions, I'll let you guys get some sleep. Uh, oh, and by the way, we have to do this. I really want to give a kola kavod to, to, to Amos. I really want to give a kola kavod to Amos. Be'emet. Because two years, Amos is coming to the shiur, and I think yesterday was a breakthrough. Because I say a lot of things, Amos sometimes, uh, one year at the other, sometimes he listens, Baruch Hashem. But, 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 Amos heard something we said in the shiur a few times, but last week it clicked. What did it click? I said you guys should bring a notebook. But Amos didn't just bring a notebook and start writing the shiur last couple of days. But also he brought a notebook for everybody. What is that? That's Midat Chasidut. That's Midat Chasidut. That's not only doing the mitzvah yourself, that's sharing the mitzvah. And a mitzvah like that, will have bracha. Will have bracha. And you'll see, Be'ezad Hashem, whatever we did in the last couple of years with us, Amos, you'll see the next two years, skyrocket. Why? Because the way he did, big bracha. Big atzlacha, Be'ezad Hashem. And stock tactics. Yes, the old stock tips. Be'ezad Hashem, 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 Be'ezad Hashem,